Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hey, happy Thursday. We've got lots to get to on our program this afternoon. You know, right? I think we're actually doing a pretty good job of keeping the energy high, finding ways to actually get content on the program, and still having uh, a little bit uh, too much fun and talking about inane and ridiculous things. I think we found the balance, my friend, as we are uh, approaching two weeks of doing this show with absolutely nothing to talk about in the sporting world. A lot of feedback on the uh, pigeon segment, Pat. A lot of positive feedback. A lot of, uh, I think, sympathy. A lot of uh, shared pain in the battle against the pigeons on downtown balconies. Uh, Good to hear that. Really good to hear that. You, uh, we've got lots to get to this segment, but I can't think of a better way to start it off. You, uh, a Pinder family member can empathize with your, uh, with your work partner. Hey, um, I, I honestly think like it's, we're in day 15 of the sports apocalypse. I want to bring my sister on. She's got a pigeon story that would, uh, dwarf yours. And uh, maybe I'll send her a note. Maybe she can come on after uh, we chat with Lou at like 2.45. Maybe we uh, get another downtown Calgary pigeon assault in the belt line. I'm all for it. Uh, Welcome to Pinder and Steinberg. I uh, certainly am all for that. How how are you feeling? You're You're a baseball guy. You spent, what, two and a half minutes at spring training this year did not end up being a uh, long trip to Southwest Florida, but you did get to spring training for a third consecutive year. Today was supposed to be opening day in the majors. A little bit of a, a uh, little bit of the, a kick in the gut knowing that we should be, we should be here in the Jays on our radio station right now. We should be airing opening day yeah. right now. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I don't know that this team was going to be good necessarily, and if you just measure wins and losses, but I damn well know they were going to be exciting. Like, this was going to be a team to watch. This was not going to be a mundane, boring, low-scoring, grinded-out team. This was going to be like, okay, the defense is a little crazy. They can hit. Can they pitch? They do have a couple guys that you don't want to miss miss a start, and one would be Hunjin Ryu, who's. Uh, would be on the mound right now, but instead it is not. He's still in Dunedin with a pregnant wife, and there is no opening day. And there was a lot of reasons for optimism. There, there was certainly a lot of reasons to think they could be considerably better than last year's ugly squad. And, you know, that's uh, that sucks. The, the first day of the year is always a fun one. There's 162, and there certainly is a lot of games that feel like there's very little significance, but there's also ones that feel way more important than they actually are because they they represent things and opening day is a return of you know the past time into our into that portion of the calendar okay baseball's back which kind of signals the beginning of summer in some places and maybe the beginning of spring in others and uh you know other ones would be like canada day when they wear the reds at home at the rogers center but you know this is a big day for baseball this is a day that i would typically try to gather with pals and watch baseball and celebrate baseball being back not to say all oh, game one win or lose this is going to be a real indicator on the year but just to say this is a sport that we love and it's been gonzo since uh early fall like this is uh we need it back and today is that uh that great hurrah that the sport is back except that it's not back and we're it's, on the air and i'm really not watching not tv back 
at all. Here's uh, here's my watch, uh, one of my favorite. Go ahead. Sorry. I the Major League MLB.com was airing uh, on each team's homepage uh, a, a huge game. So in honor of Opening Day and no baseball. Uh, MLB ran the Batflet game in its entirety, which was game five of the ALDS against the Texas Rangers in 2015. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I was uh, busy this morning being a parent and had some video meetings and all kinds of nonsense. But by the time I'd gotten all that done and rushed up to the office, I got to watch Roberto Osuna close out that game. So it was the aftermath of that insane seventh inning where Russell Martin hits the bat of the Ranger player when he's trying to throw it back to the mound, a run comes in, the chaos that follows, fans throwing beer cans on the field, you know, the incredibly poor fielding by Udu Odur and the rest of that uh, Rangers infield, and then the following blast that put the Jays ahead to stay. I missed all that, but I did get that incredible euphoric celebration of the win from the fans that survived that seventh and then were still there to watch this Jays team come back from an 0-2 hole to Mm -hmm. uh, move on to the ALCS for the first time in 93. That was really cool. I think uh, I can get into this once a week going down memory lane on a good Blue Jays baseball team. I just don't know how many weeks we'd have of that. There's like 92, 93, 15, 16, and then what else have we got? Yeah, it was – there were a lot of – well, here's – I'll give you my opening day story. So I I, – I was a big Jays fan growing up, and I got hooked in by the early '90s teams. Um, the the first my first baseball memory was uh, I believe Candy Maldonado uh, calling for the fly ball in the final game of the '92 American League Championship Series, which clinched the pennant for the Jays, and uh, they would move on to the World Series. And that was my that's my first like real baseball memory, um, and and fell in love with that '92 team. I had the I I have the cassette tape of all the stupid songs they made in Toronto, um, you know, like Terminator for Tom Hankey and the stupid Let's Go Blue Jays <laughs> song and um, the Mookie Wilson song. They had so, so many of these ridiculous songs that you listen to now and they're just cringeworthy. But so I, I fell in love with that team in 92 and I remember Joe Carter um, catching that ball at first base on uh, Otis Nixon's bunt single or almost bunt single that almost kept the Braves in that game six and the Jays won there, and then I was dialed in the next year as what a nine-year-old and not an eight-year-old in 1993. And uh, I went to my first ever major league game in Toronto that summer. Uh, saw the Jays play uh, against Cleveland at the Sky Dome at the time, and then of course they'd go on and win the second consecutive World Series in '93. But then you know the lean year started, so a few years down the road, I kind of fell away from baseball and wasn't as big into it until 1997 and I remember opening day vividly in 1997 Hmm. opening day for the Toronto Blue Jays uh, Roger Clemens got the start and I remember how fired up Skydome was and you know I had I'd been away from baseball for two or three years four or five years actually and you know I hadn't been as as dialed in and there's Clemens like Roger Clemens and I played Roger Clemens baseball for the Game Boy and I loved that friggin game he was the only major leaguer in the game the rest of them were all fake uh, and based on real major leaguers and I remember uh, watching Clemens pitch his first game for the Jays and he struck out his first at bat and Skydome went nuts and you know it was sold out as it always is and that was always the coolest thing about opening day during the lean year for the blue lean years for the Blue Jays was that 
didn't matter how bad they were projected to be, didn't matter who was on the team. Like there were those years with Vernon Wells and John McDonald, and you're just like, oh my goodness, like these are some really bad teams. Um, and didn't matter opening day at the Sky Dome or Rogers Center when it was eventually named that always jammed always loud and then for a couple of years you got that on a on a game-by-game basis on a daily basis at uh, Rogers Center so yeah I'm a little bummed that we're not watching opening day right now I'm a little bummed that we're not hearing it and you know I it has less to do about us getting the day off and more to do I just I I love I love late March early April baseball I love the fact that it's back so uh, I'm a little choked that it's not back I think that uh, we would be in the majority and I have no idea what baseball Baseball is going to look like, or when the first pitch for real is going to be thrown. I have I have no feel on when baseball is going to be back. How could you? Yeah, I mean, when's anything going to look normal again? And will we have normal again, or will we have what's a new normal where society operates a little differently? I mean, we, we it's all guesswork, and we're certainly not, uh, I guess, qualified to be doing the the guesswork. We're just a bunch of guys that fill airways talking about sports, but now talking about uh, not having sports on day 15 of the sports apocalypse. So I don't know. I was excited Indeed. to see Hunjin Roo pitch, which would have been cool. This was the biggest free agent splash that Shapiro and Atkins have had in their tenure. And I think it signaled a shift from the rebuild being complete to the building up around a good young core. They showed the Vlad uh, major league baseball debut uh, earlier this week on Sportsnet. I want to say, or maybe it was on the weekend where it aired a couple different days and it was against Oakland at Rogers Center. And some of the dusters on that roster for the Blue Jays, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like This is before Biggio. This is before Bichette. Vlad just pushed Drury to, like, second base. The Drury doesn't even crack a score. He's a bench player on this year's team. I mean, there's so many guys. You're like, oh, these guys are brutal. <laughs> and uh, not to suggest that this year's group should be planning a parade route or, you know, cancel those orders for the floats to, to go down – you know, Blue Jay way, but you know, this is clearly a very different off season and a very different feel being in spring from a year ago where last year still felt like part tearing it down and handing over mm-hmm. the reins to the kids. And this year was about insulating that young core with veterans. And I, I Ryu especially because he, you know, best ERA in the national league last year. That's incredible. A guy that has just been a master of his craft for so many years and has done it in the shadow of maybe the best pitcher of our lifetime in, in Clayton Kershaw. Like it's, I, I was really excited to see him go. We are underway on Pinder and Steinberg. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the program. Logan Gordon holding down the fort at our Sportsnet 960 Basement Systems downtown studio. Pinder's at Shea Pinder. I'm here at Shea Steinberg. Hopefully your Thursday is going along well. Peter Labardi is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. 2.30, Lubo is going to join us. We'll catch up with Lou. Haven't spoken to him in exactly two weeks, so we'll check in with Lou. Uh, how about this? Do, do you want to – here's something that might make your blood boil. In the midst oh of the uh, president of the United States saying that, oh, no, America will be back open for business by Easter. Uh, this is a very realistic time frame. And then anybody who knows anything saying, no, this is not a realistic time frame. Um, in the midst of that, UFC President Dana White has been extremely defiant as well. I continue to 
I continue to scratch my head as to what exactly the defiant people are trying to defy. I don't know who they're trying to impress or what they're trying to prove. All they're doing is endangering themselves and, more importantly, endangering people who are at a far higher risk than they are. And it remains infuriating all of these Corona tough guys and Corona tough girls who are, ah, like Evangeline Lilly, I would like... Give up your Canadian citizenship. I'd like to. Uh, I would like to personally take that from you. Um, but here's uh, here's Dana White, who is defiant and adamant that come April 18th, UFC 249 will take place. Here, every sports league, the KHL, even begrudgingly had to cancel their season. They they were still holding empty arena games up until about a week ago. The KHL is canceled. Aussie Rules football is canceled. Golf wanted to keep going. They've been postponed every sports league isn't running events doesn't matter if there are people in the building or not but dana white says no 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 no. we can do ufc 249 don't you worry we'll do it in fact i, I pulled this this is from the uh spinning back fist account and and the uh one of the uh, podcasts they do at barstool sports listen to dana white on with barstool uh very defiant about ufc 249 happening right in the face of a global pandemic There's the uh, president of the UFC, Mr. Pinder, defiant that doesn't matter what you think. I, I don't care what the... I'm not you telling know, the media. Do you have the location? I, Is it set? One I place? know. I'm not telling the media anything. <laughs> I'm not telling them anything, okay? Because every day when I wake up, there's a bullshit story or somebody doesn't like this or somebody doesn't like that. I don't give a f- what you think. What you like or don't like, on April 18th, you either want to turn on the TV and watch this fight, or you don't. You don't even have to f***ing show up, because there's not going to be any fans there. You don't have to come cover it. You either want to watch it or you don't. These medical experts say, I don't care what everyone else is doing, and what every medical professional is saying, we're still going to hold UFC 249. I don't care. I these are the things that make my head hurt and make um, make my optimism level get kicked in the teeth every time it starts to go up a little bit. Yeah, his he's boys with Trump. That, those two are yeah. uh, two peas yeah. in a pod there. I guess Dana had called him and got assurance from the president that things would be okay for prior events that have since been canceled. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, like, if that's what you want to do, you want to go out there and side against the people that study these things and the scientists and the people in the medical fields that, that know more than you do about this. Like if Dana White's telling a doctor in an ER uh, about, you know, a certain hold or submissive tactic in, you know, mixed martial <laughs> arts, I feel like the doctor's going to be like, yeah, that's your area of expertise, Dana. That's great. Like, I absolutely believe you. I take your word on it. Uh, but the inverse doesn't seem to be true, which, Hmm. I, that, that, that's funny. I don't know that, uh, 
Mr. White has a, a background or a very storied education with epidemiology, which is a big word I, that I, I'm trying to use as much as I can now in isolation. Uh, epidemiology, because, nice job. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, whatever. There's been a lot of people that have, like Trump was the one that said, yeah, we got 15 cases, we'll be down to zero in no time. Uh, that's, that's Meanwhile, they are, uh, they're on pace to be the, the nation hardest hit. You know, China, five times more population, uh, yet the United States is going to far surpass them, it looks like, in terms of both overall cases and overall deaths. And, yes, this is the uh, country that we want to be getting our, our medical advice from. It just... It's frustrating because as much as I want live sports back, nobody wants live sports back more than you or, or me or Logues or, or our, our group of people listening. It's just like let's, let's all just for a little bit realize that every corporation is going to take a massive financial hit. All individually, we're going to take some sort of financial hit, uh, whether it be uh, from an income standpoint. I feel awful for the people who have lost their jobs. 7,000 WestJet employees had to go on leave, whether it be permanent or temporary. There's a, there's a company based in our city that had to lay off half of their workforce or at the very least pause Jeez. employment for half their workforce. And I have no idea what's going to happen with Rogers. I have no idea what, what we're going to do and, and how long we're going to be able to sustain in the radio business hell i i'm I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you i'm i'm worried about how an all sports radio station survives with no sports in the long term like the, the these things are affecting every one of us we don't need we don't need people to make it worse and we don't need things to uh things to make it so this doesn't get better and that's exactly what defying this and and you know flipping the middle finger to all of these um, all these social policies does. So it's it's frustrating. I want live sports as much as you do. It's just I'm willing to wait for it. I'm willing to sacrifice because we all got to make sacrifice. This is kicking all of us in the teeth. And, you know, I, you've got investments, right? I don't. I hope you haven't looked at them because they're they're probably <laughs> straight in the toilet the same way mine are. I like, hey, I, I'm, we're all taking <laughs> massive financial hits here. Uh you know, I, I, I will, I'll say this, like, I haven't been following the Dana White thing closely, except to know that, you know, he's been very, as you've used the word defiant, that's, that's accurate. Could they pull off a bunch of fights without, um, you know, placing people in danger of spreading? Like if you did, if you tested everyone, quarantined them coming into the match, worked with small teams, like, is that feasible at all? Or is this a guy that's just, uh, it, it, that 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 is just trying to unroll the middle finger to well, science and and the medical community. <laughs> what is what is the CDC's recommendation? South the border is it gatherings less than fifty, less than less than 50 than 10, people? Yeah. Um. So I I believe it's still less than fifty people. Uh. And that's going on for like the better part of six months or whatever they said it was going to be. So or eight weeks rather. Eight weeks is what they said. So two months. So if the CDC is saying don't have gatherings of 50 people or more and a ufc fight has say and he said it's going to be a full card so say there's 15 fights well there's 30 people plus judges yeah, but they don't have to be in the same room at the same time i mean let i'm going to give them the, a very very small and unworthy benefit of the doubt you could corn you could section off a huge building and and use numerous rooms like i imagine the saddle give Give one team one dressing right. room, give another team a different dressing room, and you've got rooms scattered around. And then, okay, you've got camera people and producers, and you've got, you need judges. Like, you, 
is it feasible? Or are we maybe not giving him credit? Because if you could do it safely, he knows he's got the sports world all to himself. That, that's, I mean, I see the dollar figures in his eyes if he thinks he can get it done without violating any sort of rules about gathering people. But it also probably doesn't send a good message. That's it? the thing that, like, could they? Probably. Like, could they Could they technically get around regulations and technically do it so they stay under 50 people and, and technically – yeah, maybe. But the problem is I'm, it's more about the message. It's more about – like, what message are you you've – got, you've got governments, governors, premiers, prime ministers uh, across the world saying stay the bleep home. Like – this is the me- our premier said it yesterday. People aren't getting it now. We're going to start enforcing that you have to self quarantine, and if you're told that you have to socially isolate, you have to. And if if we say that you can't have a gathering of fifty or more people, fifty or less people, then we're going to enforce that because people aren't getting it. And our prime minister has said time and time again, like just stay home. This the message is simple. I don't understand why there continues to be this. Well, it doesn't apply to me, and so it's more about the message than anything else. Like, well, yeah. Stay home, but we don't have to. We're going to hold our fights, and uh, you know what? These these don't apply to us, so why do they have to apply to you? That That's what bothers me. I, I don't think it's a good precedent to set. I really don't. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it certainly isn't that. Uh, okay, well, what, what else have we got on tap today? I'm looking. We got some pretty good guests today. We've, we, you know, I'll give uh, the group out in Toronto a ton of credit on Hockey Central. They have been bringing in top-end executive after top-flight NHL coach. I mean, it's almost like a, a look at the Hall of Fame in 20 years. The guests they've been rolling out this week, and they, they already had some Hall of Fame members join them, including the great one a couple days ago. Uh, we, we're, we're pretty good. I mean, I, I don't know that I expected Day 15 without sports for uh, the shows to be as flush as they've been, but uh, we've had some fun, and we've actually gotten some really good chats with some fascinating people, and there's more on tap. Colin Patterson of the 89 Flames who is an absolute legend, is going to join us tomorrow afternoon. And we're still chasing down Mike Soroka, who's going to join us from Florida when the timing works. He's uh, mm-hmm. shut down as the rest of spring training is. Uh, he, of course, looking for a, an incredible follow-up season to uh, getting Cy Young votes last year with the Braves. Uh, let's get to the text line. A few texts, 960960. I'll read all of them that we've got to this point. Um, this from Luke. Dana White can just intimidate the virus. No big deal. Yeah, if he swears at the virus enough, that'll uh, that'll keep it away. Uh, this reads, the WWE continues to put on shows. I am aware of that. and, and I, I did see I, that. Yeah. I was... They, uh, they continue to I say like, we're going forward with WrestleMania. And then I looked at it, and I'm like, this is not a replay. This is in a staged theater area and the smoke and lights are a lot closer to the ring. So you don't see empty seats. And it was like very eerie to hear no crowd effect and only the announcers and like the smack of the, the mat when guys get tossed, I was like, Oh, this is weird. I'm not much of a wrestling wrestling guy, but I definitely watched for a couple of minutes. Cause it was just so weird to see it without, you know, that's a sport that the, the ambiance and the, the interaction with fans that just, mm-hmm. it's like the sport is dripping in that. And you removed all that. It was weird. Well, same when watching those AFL games from Australia over the weekend. It was like that that sport is based on crowds being loud and engaged, and now all you're hearing is the smacking of 220-pound bodies going up against one another and and grunting and and then a bunch of Aussie accents. That's all you heard. It was was really strange. Um, I'll start a GoFundMe to keep you on the air, boys. I appreciate you guys every day. Trust me. Uh, thank you. you I, I think we'll be we, okay. We uh, might for need now. that. We don't know. 
Uh, Pat, I'd forgotten what a good horror movie nightmare on Elm Street is. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, better lock your door. Five, six, grab your crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never sleep again. <laughs> yeah, that movie's terrifying. Um, Wedley says that I need to tell my roofer girl date at some point. I- I've told that like six different times, but hey, if we run out of content, will. If we I get will. to next week, let's do it. And then finally, uh, we were talking baseball. Guys, a quick baseball story. I got hooked on baseball by listening to Jerry Howarth in Saskatchewan, visiting relatives in the late 90s and early 2000s. Have lots of good memories of different home run calls. Miss baseball and Jerry Howarth on the radio. Uh, no doubt. Uh, and there she goes. One of the best voices of all time. in the bullpen. Uh, okay, a couple of news items for you. Number one, Pinder has gotten us up to date on last night's Flames-Ducks game Ooh, on his yes. NHL 94 Extremely Realistic Simulation. I also I downloaded NHL 20 a couple nights ago. It was on for great right. sale. Got it for $29.99. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm terrible at it. I... Uh, I was, uh, the first night I played it was uh, not last night, but the night before I skipped last night because the first night I was so angry at the game. It's so hard, and it, it, I really was frustrated. Like, I play, I, I randomized, I was like, okay, I'll be Vegas and Ottawa. Sweet, I should be able to win this game. They beat me like 18-1. to 1. It was really bad. What? So I got some work to do. But oh, I did uh, I did start simulating games, and uh, I've got the first two games the Flames have missed all good to go, Ooh, and we'll continue okay. to do that as well. So we'll do that a little yeah, bit later so on the show. You've got eight games you're behind, um, so you're, you're playing catch up, and and uh, I can tell you the Flames, uh, their game against the Ducks took care of business six two. Al McKinnis, man, he's turned the corner three assists, couple for Flurry. And, uh, you know, Robert Reichel's chipping in. I'd, uh, flames are going good. Now, the Ducks absolutely suck. They're brutal, like awful. Gee Bear was in net. Uh, you could have used a shooter tutor and done better. Got and, you. like, Anatoly Semenov and Terry Yake. Like, there's some bad, bad players on that team. It is no good at all. <laughs> well, so the Flames are on a heater right now uh, on NHL 94. They might not lose yep. between now and the end of the regular season. We'll see how things are going on uh, NHL 20 a little bit later Big on. Luck. But up next, Peter Labardius joins us. We'll catch up with Lou around the corner. Lots to talk about with uh, the gentleman himself. Peter Labardius joins us next. Happy Thursday. Underway on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hopefully you are staying safe on this Thursday afternoon. Welcome back to the program. It's Pat Steinberg, Ryan Pinder, and Logan Gordon along with you. And now we welcome in the color voice of the Calgary Flames, the one and only Peter Labardius joins us from his uh, humble abode in Ontario. Mr. Labardius, we have not heard your voice in exactly two weeks. The last time that we spoke to you since uh, everything uh, went crazy since that point. It's good to hear from you, pal. How you doing? I'm I'm great. How are you guys? We're hanging. all right. We're uh, yeah. isolating, doing a show from yeah. home about all the, you know, this, this yeah, busy, busy sports world out there. Yeah. Well, these are, uh, these are different times and challenge us to find different things and different subjects and different people who have maybe some different things to offer outside of just what we talk about on a normal basis. We have, uh, what are you, uh, 
doing to survive, Lou. I, I worry about you more than many yeah, because you know I know how much you know what's, what's you crazy. Feel. You're not the first pe- person to ask that, and I completely understand that. But I'll, I'll be frank with you, and I always am. And that is, I feel very, I feel very much at peace. Um, it's been wonderful to be back in Toronto with Nancy and my stepdaughter. Um, I don't take for granted being with people that I love on a regular basis because, frankly, a big part of my life doesn't allow that. And I'm very thankful for having, you know, FaceTime so I can also see my son on a daily basis who resides in Edmonton. So, um, to be honest, it's it's been um, a bit of a blessing to be home and be with them and get to know them a little bit better. And my stepdaughter and I have spent some awesome time together. She's 15 and very much interested in the arts and is hoping to head in that direction. And so, yeah, I, I can honestly say that uh, you'd be surprised, but I'm, I'm very much at, at peace and have, in my own way, enjoyed other things. I've on the book number four of the last 10 days and i'm not a big reader by any stretch so yeah that's kind of what my world's been about how how are the uh how are the labardi's cooking skills they're they stink they're terrible (laughs) they are the worst um i'm embarrassed to say that uh yeah i'm not the world's best person at fending for myself in that particular way but but um, you know, if you've looked at me at certain times in my life, I don't think finding food or finding it into my mouth has really ever been a gigantic issue. Um, so through all of that and those lack of skills, which at times I wish I had more of, and maybe that's what the next little while is even going to be for me, then maybe I will add a couple of, uh, notches to a very non-cooking belt (laughs) i like the way you put that what um what was the what was the airport experience like i have not been in one since uh the world has changed you about a week ago you got from calgary back to Mm -hmm. uh back to ontario what was the flying and airport experience like you know what pat honestly i expected a little bit different uh you know certainly there were less people on my flight from calgary to toronto it wasn't completely empty by any stretch of the imagination i mean that's a very and i know it incredibly well uh it's a very very busy run um it probably was three quarters of it normally would be in most situations that i've flown that route in my lifetime um but you know, I'll, I'll be honest, it, it wasn't near as different as I'm sure I would find today, you know, in comparison mm-hmm. to what I guess was nine or ten days ago um, when I left. Interesting. So have you uh, have you been keeping on top of sports news? And uh, there hasn't been a ton of it, but have you been uh, keeping your ear to the ground and, and staying on top um, of that stuff? With, within reason. Sure. Um, you know, I, I've watched a, a number of different programs. Uh, you know, I've seen 
more of the ESPN programming that's been available. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, I've watched some old games here and there that have uh, certainly caught my attention. I certainly have followed relatively closely what is happening with signings and your team having some new quarterback by the name of Brady. Um, so, yeah, I've, uh, I've stayed as up-to-date. But to be honest, my bigger concern through this whole thing has just been connecting with people. Um, I try to reach out daily to people in my life that really matter. And um, I've had great conversation about lots and lots of different subjects, both on, you know, the positive side and, you know, that's I, I've probably thought less about sports in the last 10 days than I have in the other 54 years of my existence. Hmm. Peter Labardius is with us, radio voice, uh, radio color voice of the Calgary Flames, uh, joining us from Ontario as we're underway on uh, Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. Lou, I was dying when you posted a clip of, uh, you were mentioned your stepdaughter <laughs> and you were watching, I think it was Shit's Creek, which I don't Schitt's know that I've Creek, seen, but yeah. I have to now. Uh, first off, these are mm-hmm. weird times to hear you losing it laughing uh <laughs> absolutely made my day without question and well, secondly could, could you give me a little synopsis of, of this uh this canadian gem that as most oh. do has flown under the radar well it has flown under the radar and it's funny because in my travels i had probably watched a scattering of rye about six or seven episodes and it never, there were some good moments, and but it never kind of made that connection that a show, and I guess, you know, anybody would have to make for you to really start to invest. But, you know, as I said, my, my stepdaughter is very much into arts and, you know, a, a hopeful actor going forward, and she's in all kinds of different things. And she and her mother, Nats, um, they love this shit's Creek. So in part of getting to know Hannah better, I said, okay, I'm going to give this a try. And she's only seen it about four times every single episode and she can <laughs> recite them. Um, anyway, if you've ever watched anything of Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, I've always been a fan of both of them in whatever roles that I've seen going back to, you know, I guess would be SCTV, certainly in the case of Eugene Levy. Um, mm-hmm. His son, Dan, uh, is a major part of it, both producing and acting. But uh, for those people who don't know who I am, what really fascinates me, I always say this, and Patty hears this every day. I can see even the luck on his face without being in the same room. The two things, Rye, that fascinate me are sports and people. And so it is just a wildly ridiculous study of all these different types of people who are set in this small hotel town, and it's a dump of a hotel, and, and the name of the, of the show is Schitt's Creek. That's the city it's in. Um, the mayor of the town is Roland Schitt. Um, 
and, you know, the Levy family or the Rose family in this case uh, lost all their money and all their fame and all their fortune from the video business because they were uh, sold out by others. And, you know, this family of four ends up in Schitt's Creek and it's a dump. And now they have to learn in their unbelievable character ways to go about their business in their new life. And it's funny, even as I kind of talk about it a little bit, I kind of think that's where the whole world is headed. You know, how are (laughs) we going to move forward with what's going to be a very different and new normal for a lot of us? So, but it's, it's funny. The characters are absolutely hysterical. They're, they're beyond ridiculous at times. And yet the show um, has some really neat messaging and family moments. And yeah, I, uh, I highly recommend it. I'm almost through season, season five. And there, I think where the show is, this is its last season. It's in season six and about seven episodes in. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Crazy. I love it. Um, one of the things that I've enjoyed is some of the classic sports that have been on the tube, be it mm-hmm. Sportsnet or people online revisiting stuff through different uh, apps. I know MajorLeagueBaseball.com today had the bat flip game for the Blue Jays fans instead right. of opening day. Every fan base had a different game they could watch. Have you re-watched a classic sports moment that just brought you back or that maybe uh, you forgot how much you loved or how, how much you were in the moment or how nervous you got? What about old sports? You, see, you re-watched anything? Um, the only thing that I have rewatched, right, wasn't from very long ago to this point, and that is I went back and I've watched it twice. I've watched the World Junior Gold Medal game from this year twice since I got back, and I just I wanted to see it in all its splendor. And what I really enjoy about doing that. And not just because it had an awesome ending, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, but what I can share with you is it can be really, really fun to go back and watch games when I know the outcome now. Because when Hmm. I'm watching, as anyone who's maybe been around me for a Team Canada in particular type event, would not describe my behavior as enjoyment in the two hours and 30 or 45 minutes that the activity occurs. So to know the outcome, like the outcome, and to be able to sit on my couch and just watch and, again, learn and get another chance to, you know, study and watch different players and their tendencies. And, you know, that that's one of the things that I love to do. And, and I love... I love those things a lot because I don't get to that emotional level I find very often anymore. So I welcome it, but I'm not going to say that for me, those are like, that's just utter bliss for two hours and 45 minutes. It's not. So yeah, that's the one game I've watched a couple of times. And um, I, I have, I have lots of things here on the PVR or that I'll, I'll get back to, to, uh, to revisit uh two more sports ones for me and then i'll let uh, patty uh close out with you just a quick thought on the two defensemen the flames add in college free agency 
Well, you know, I think excellent ads in terms of it's an area where the Flames were looking to add depth. Um, a couple of left-handed defensemen. Um, I've watched a couple of clips, and a matter of fact, I found uh, a UND game that I watched a couple periods of, so I could watch Poolman a little closer. I'll do that with Mackey in the very uh, near future, but I think it adds to the depth. I really like because anybody who's listened probably knows that, you know, I think the Flames, what I like to call is basically the 25 and under core is a really, really good one. I think it's truly the strength of the Calgary Flames. So to add some more depth, which will give you some versatility, even though on defense is a strong area of this club, but with free agents and hard decisions to make, when things get back to normal and they start playing hockey again, either to close out the current season or next season. Um, I, I, I like what I see in Pullman. He's just a hard stay at home, uh, full of leadership, you know, two years, as you guys both know, captain at UND. Um, I like both guys. And I also like them because they're different. I, I see probably more offensive upside in Mackey and what he's been able to do at Minnesota state. And I like that you have a different type, solid stay at home, you know, maybe a a top four or maybe a number five guy going forward with Pullman, depending on how things play itself out. And I also think that, you know, they might be ready because of age and experience sooner than later. Tell us about the young man with exceptional status for the Western League and any sort of background you can give us there. That's not something we've seen much at this part of the country. Well, I'd like to tell you, I've only seen him on video. Um, One of my plans before the year was over was to potentially engineer a way to an event that he was going to partake in. And his name is Connor Bedard and he's put up massive numbers at West Vancouver Academy um, will be selected first in the upcoming Bantam draft by the Regina Pats, who yesterday ended up with the first pick. Um, I have talked to two or three scouts that I really, really respect, and a couple of them said that this young man reminds them a lot of Steven Stamkos. And I can tell you, Ryan, that I saw quite a bit of Steven Stamkos as a member of the Markham AAA Minor Midgets, a team that actually featured Cody Hodgson and Michael Delzato on the same Minor Midget AAA team when I was living in Ontario full-time. So if this young man is anything at which, and he's a year younger than when I would have seen Stephen, because I saw Stephen for the first time in his 15-year-old season, not his 14-year-old season. But, you know, in the video clips I've seen, I do see some similarities. Right-handed, centerman, you know, has put up a massive amount of points at at prep school. Um, And, you know, all year, he and a couple of young people out of Saskatoon named Jagger and Height were the three players that everybody had talked about in terms of who was going to go one, two, three. We'll see if that's how it plays itself out in April when the Western League holds its draft. But 
seen on video a little bit and heard nothing but really good things. And the other thing is, and, and I tweeted about it yesterday, um, physical maturity also goes a long way in your ability to play as a 15-year-old in a 20-and-under league, but so does maturity, period. And that's something that I think, Ryan, gets lost. And, I, I, and I'm really a believer, and I'm not saying this about this young man. I'd say this about a lot of things. We are always in such a rush sometimes for everyone to get to the next level I don't think we always need to be in such a great rush because I think there's some unbelievable value sometimes that gets missed in actually getting to be a teenager and spending more time within the confines of your age group. But the fact that the Western League has never done this before, and I know what kind of work Ron Robison and the league's governors and how hard those decisions are, that they have not made this one lightly, and I know that because there's been lots of others who have tried, and this guy has broken a barrier. Peter Labardius is with us, the color voice of the Calgary Flames, and uh, looks like Regina Pats will be the the team that has the ability to take young Connor Bedard number one overall, as they won the Bantam Draft Lottery yesterday. Just a just a thought on on the Western Hockey League right now. They've moved the Bantam Draft up to April twenty second. You're very familiar with kind of the the time frame. We know that the CHL season has been canceled. There won't be playoffs or a Memorial Cup, which we'll get to in just a second but just the the thought about moving the the bantam draft up they had the u.s prospects draft in the lottery yesterday just a, a thought on kind of the the weird situation the western league and canadian major junior hockey finds itself in right now well it's it's not unlike a lot of other leagues uh this is not what anybody had planned for this is not pat what anybody wanted um you know, those are serious, serious moves that had to be made and the right moves in terms of, you know, the pandemic health-wise that we're dealing with. And again, this is where leadership has never mattered more and the league is in incredible hands and has been for a long time in Ron Robison. And I think everybody is worried and understands that, you know, this type of a stoppage and what it means to certain markets and organizations and the fact of the matter is not only in the western league but throughout the canadian hockey league i do think that some changes are going to occur and potentially some big changes and because within the framework of the western hockey league as we know no market is necessarily unto the next so you know that's the thing people forget about sometimes in junior hockey i mean you're not running the same team in Calgary with the same type of resources that you might be in Swift Current or you might mm-hmm. be in Prince Albert or you might be in other places. And being able to keep competitive balance, um, you know, keep it as competitive as you possibly can, I think is far more difficult than it is in professional sports. Um So there are challenges, and there's going to be some great challenges. But, uh, you know, I I think the Western League is doing what every other league is, and they're talking and they're planning and they're using this time to truly identify where they want to go moving forward. And, you know, whether it's this draft, uh, it's 
like everybody else. This is not how we envisioned our world, but what choice do we have? All we can do is learn, and if we're smart, or somewhat smart, take the time to get together and use that time to truly try to be better when things start up again, in understanding that a big challenge in that is going to be things aren't going to be the same. Yeah. And just finally, we had talked about this when the CHL came out on Monday um, and officially said that all three of their member leagues will not be able to go through with their postseason in the 2020 Memorial Cup will not happen in Kelowna, BC. And Pinder and I were just talking about at the time, like, okay, so does Kelowna get the Memorial Cup in 2021? Well, it came out the next day on Tuesday that Kelowna will not be getting the 2021 Memorial Cup. They'll uh, go to the OHL and keep with the rotation in just over a year's time. Just a, a thought on why that's necessary. And from a hockey perspective and a, and a planning perspective, why it, it maybe wasn't the most feasible to go back to Kelowna for the memorial cup next year well a big part of that pat is you're not going to have the same team and what the chl does in its league that hosts the respective annual event tries its best to do is to make sure that the host is an elite level team and Mm -hmm. so you try to build accordingly so unless the league was going to say we're going to change things as a result of this stoppage, well, players are going to graduate and players are going to move on professionally. And you're going to have incredibly different-looking teams. And the fact of the matter is, for people who don't know, you know, junior hockey, you know, has three- and four-year cycles. And basically what you try your best to do is you try to build a team around two age groups and then mix and match and go from there. So, you know, the Kelowna Rockets just would not be in a very, you know, now some would argue they weren't in the most competitive spot to hold the event this year had it gone as planned. Um, But by next year, with all the moves and trades and what they've had to do, they just, you're not going to be in a good place and it's hard to get this thing right competitive wise to begin with because there's just lots of things that you can't predict and Mm -hmm. through the course of you know host teams which goes all the way back to portland oregon when this all started with a host team in the year 1983 you know a, a lot of years it's been a great challenge but on the other hand you know i remember a stretch when when i was doing the tournament where you know, I, I can think of the stretch where, you know, London hosted in 2005 and won. Kelowna, you know, they won in 2004. They didn't win the league, but they had the best record in the league. They lost in a weird upset to Everett in the Western Final. Um, you know, 2006, Moncton was the host. They won the Quebec League. You know, Kitchener won the Ontario League and hosted in 2008. And there's been you know, lots and lots of good stories and lots and lots of very, very competitive hosts. But, you know, moving it a year, unless you're going to move up the age of your players and everything is frozen, I don't think you have a choice but to go forward. 
Yeah, and I, I'm completely with you after yeah, – at first I was like, well, yeah, easy. But then you think about it, you're like, you know, just how much – how teams plan to be a host of a team and how they go through their hockey timeline and their hockey calendar on a yearly basis leading up to that. Uh, it makes perfect sense why they wouldn't be able to go back to to Kelowna. Just uh, before we let you go, Lou, we got a text, and uh, while you were uh, answering that question, I uh, went and did a little quick recording work. So somebody texts in – one of my most rewatched sports moments is Pete's call of Kipper's stick save on Kyle Wellwood. Him shouting, oh, my goodness, gives me chills every time. So, Logo, it's at the top of the fan folder. Just because the text is there and Lou's on with us, I thought, well, ah, I was able to find it pretty quickly and record it. This is exactly what he's talking about. BXA. His shot tipped in front loose. Oh, my goodness. And somehow that stayed out, too. They're on their feet in Calgary. Stays right with it on the redirect. Empty net. Charlie, I was just flat out poised to say scores. I was certain it was in. That is one of the greatest saves you will ever see. Do you, uh, do you happen to remember that, Lou? Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember it. Now I have goosebumps from the uh, top of my head to the bottom of my toes yeah i uh i remember it incredibly well incredibly Some, well and i you know somebody else day, uh... still not sure how he kept that thing out but when you watch kiprasov on a night-to-night basis and i said this many times i i'm not sure his work was ever appreciated quite to the uh-huh. level that maybe it deserved to be Luke, our, one of our texters, writes in says the uh, Patrick Stefan call is better. Which was, that was you were still in Edmonton. That's one of my favorites. It's like of all the years to, to paraphrase you at the end, you're like of all the years I've never seen anything quite like that. When Stefan misses the empty net and Hensky yeah. goes back the other way and scores, that's one of my uh, favorite Labardius calls as well. It's uh, it's a good one. Yeah, can you believe what we just saw? Well, you know, probably the best way to end this interview, and hopefully there will be more. Can you believe what we are dealing with? No kidding. No, nope, I still, uh, still can't. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Anytime. Be well. Keep your families You home. as well. Be okay, safe. Be you. well. Thank you, Pete. Peter Labardius on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or deliveries available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Okay, we got to get the break, got to get these spots in. Up around the corner, our NHL insider Chris Johnston, and we do have NHL news to get to, including some breaking news from the NHL. It's coming your way next. CJ, around the corner, Pender and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Chris Johnston brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. Well, CJ, happy Thursday. Why don't we start with the breaking news of the day. The uh, COVID-19 virus no longer just a member of the Ottawa Senators roster? It's not. No, uh, you know, member of the Colorado Avalanche, the team says, uh, it's also tested positive. That's a third known uh, positive test among NHL players. And, you know, one thing that, that Colorado shares with Ottawa is that they played games 
uh, in California here just before uh, the NHL went on pause. And, and so, you know, I, I don't know that I can say with any, any definitive authority that that's, you know, where the virus was spread. But, you know, certainly we, we've seen a trend there in California uh, back, uh, you know, early to middle of March was one of the first hotspots in the U.S. Uh, for the, the COVID-19 outbreak. And, um, you know, obviously these teams are, are sharing dressing rooms and also uh, being in the community when they were when they were down there. CJ, that's that's obviously news. I don't know how surprising that news is. That you know, as as we go on, I think we're going to find out that more and more people in pro sports, just like the the general population, uh, are going to end up testing positive for this. We know there's been a coach in the NFL. We know the NBA's had a number of players, uh, the NHL as well. That I, I don't know how surprising that is, and I, I would imagine that. You weren't overly surprised with the news from yesterday that the NHL has decided to postpone a trio of June events, the scouting combine, the awards, and the NHL draft. I guess there really was no choice, hey? No, unfortunately, we're in this, this I guess, period where the dominoes are falling. And, you know, it's not to say, obviously, that they're going to have some of those events. I don't know if we'll see a scouting combine, but certainly, you know, we will have an entry draft in some uh, way, shape, or form. You know, I would imagine the awards show it didn't sound like or doesn't sound like it, it will be on. Uh, I'm sure uh, there will be an opportunity to give out awards maybe without the, the traditional show, but, you know, that's just kind of a reflection where we're at. And, and, you know, we're not probably able to have a draft until it's known either if the season's canceled or until we see the conclusion of the playoffs, because that's uh, traditionally how they, uh, the, 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 the order has been set in terms of, you know, the team that wins the Stanley cup going last and all those types of things. And so uh, with the, the league looking at potentially playing, until the end of August, uh, there was no way to, to have that, that trio of events in June. So is there any way, like, would, would they automatically go if they were able to find a way to get games in August, from your understanding or uh, your guesswork, if, whatever the case may be? Uh, would it be, like, would they have to hold the draft after a season comes to an end? Like, we'd be talking about a September NHL draft? I, I would think so, yeah. I mean, if if the season goes till August and, and the cup uh, is awarded at some point in that month, you're looking at September at minimum and maybe some of October is the quote unquote off season when you'd have free agency, uh, you know, when you, you'd have the, the entry draft and arbitration and all those types of things that go on uh, typically in the summertime. And then you know, you're probably looking at a, a training camp and exhibition schedule in October and the start of the season in November. I think that that's kind of the, the, the very rough outline of something that, that could work in terms of getting an 82 game season in next year. You know, I would presume if you're starting in November, you were looking at no all-star game and all-star break and getting rid of the five day by uh, by week that each team has and compressing the schedule a little bit to, to get those games in. But you know, I think that that's the potential path they can go here, depending on, you know, where things go with the coronavirus and, you know, there's a chance it'll all be moot and, you know, the season will be wiped away, but mm-hmm. you know, I do think that there's still a bit of hope uh, because that's still a fair ways from now. I mean, we're in kind of this weird uh, section of time, I think, with most people at home and kind of out of their normal routines. You know, you almost lose track of time. But, you know, that's still several months away from, from where we're standing today. And, you know, hopefully the, the actions we're all taking will flatten the curve and at least offer a potential window to, to get sports up and running in the summertime. And, you know, I do think the NHL would uh, pursue a July-August uh, type of playoffs. Well, and, and someone that you – 
talked about right there that I'll pick up on. And it's it's funny because when I first heard the talk about, well, they could start the season in November, I'm like, geez, well, then how late are they going to go into the summer with, with next season? But then you think about it, you know, if you take out the break, the all-star break, the five-day break, and you play through there and you condense the schedule a little bit. They've done it before. They've done it in Olympic years. They, they did it during the lockout season. Like it's, it's not impossible to get 82 games in starting in November and not going too far past what we're regular, regularly used to when it comes to the start of the postseason. It is like, it is feasible. It just means that it's going to be a much more condensed schedule, right? For sure, and you're looking probably at a regular season that ends a week to two weeks later than normal, so you know mid to a little bit beyond that in April, uh, you know under that scenario. But it's certainly workable. I mean, the the, the lockout shortened 12-13 season. I, I believe the first round of the playoffs went into May, uh, and so you know there's 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 a path here to to make all that work. I think if anything, there's probably a little bit of concern. And you know, I was on that, those conference calls today with some of the NHL players the league put on, and Nick Foligno brought up this point from the, the Columbus Blue Jackets that. You know, under that scenario, you're asking some some top players to play a lot of games, and and you know, I think he he wasn't saying it as an objection as much as you know, let's let's step back and look at this. Let's consider whether this is is smart because you know, let's let's sketch out a a path here. Let's say you know the Washington Capitals go to the Cup final this summer in a July August playoff scenario. You, you've got those games for them. Then you launch into that condensed season, and they might have a playoff run next year. I mean, inside what would be a 12 month window. You could be asking, you know, potentially some players to play 120 games or, or something in that neighborhood if, you know, if their mm. teams have success and they stay healthy. Um, you know, obviously this is highly, uh, you know, speculative at this point, but it's just something to consider uh, as they go into that. I, I do think, though, um, you know, because of some of the business interests, because of how unusual this is, and I think that the, the league and, and for the most part the players' union see eye to eye on, on the importance of trying to play again if they can, even if. Uh, just to to help the, the the world or north you know the world North America return partially to normalcy. I mean, we've seen that in the past that, that sporting events can you know have a special spot in the community when when things happen. Uh, I think of the World Series game in New York, uh, you know, after nine eleven, yep, uh, and all that stuff. I mean, I, I think that that um, you know that there's some value maybe in getting up and going again for that league. So you know, even though they're it's not perfect and it's not ideal, you know, I do think that if if the the virus you know ends up uh, flattening out and, and not not spreading the way it is right now as we're talking that they're you know very serious about trying to get to play again. CJ, the the, the new timeline there that you just laid out and it, it we understand it's totally hypothetical and based on a lot of assumptions, but man, does that open a can of worms when you start talking about an entry draft in the fall or free agency in the fall because you've got players at all different levels that will be weighing NHL options or at least NHL tryouts against other leagues that might be starting in their regular spot in this, in the schedule from leagues that are canceled, that are not paused. I mean, that's a major, major can of worms they're opening. If, if you're moving an entry draft back to that point and free agency back to the fall as well. I mean, a player that doesn't get picked up an NHL free agency that probably turned down offers to Europe all summer. I mean, there's, there's a lot there to digest. Yeah, it would be maybe controlled chaos, maybe uncontrolled chaos. You know, I I don't think that there's any precedent that I can think of for that. I mean, Mm -hmm. there there is precedence for for squishing the schedule together and compressing it and finding ways to to play a lot of games in a short amount of time. I I don't know that we've ever had, you know, just because all the other leagues are off too. You know, once it gets to September, you can be sure the Canadian Hockey League leagues, uh, the American Hockey League, you know, those those circuits are going to be anxious to get up and running again. And potentially that's basically – 
somewhere near the start or towards the middle of, of you know this the NHL offseason under this plan, you know it, it wouldn't be perfect. Uh, I think that there would be some special sort of one-time deals that would have to be worked out between the leagues and how things work. And you know, say uh, you know top draft picks uh, going to an NHL training camp and maybe not getting returned to their team until mid October if they if they do get returned. You know, I, I do think it would be kind of one of these scenarios where a lot has to be worked out. And, and I do think, you know, no matter what happens here, there's, there's going to be a lot of those, those scenarios. I think, you know, one other concern potentially with this is, you know, if the league starts back up in July and, and goes straight into a playoffs, that it doesn't finish off any bits of the regular season. I mean, that that's going to be a long layoff for the teams that are out of the playoffs that played their last mm-hmm. game somewhere around March 10th or 11th, and then wouldn't potentially have another meaningful game anyways till November. I mean, that, that probably is an ideal for, for some markets from a business standpoint. Uh, might be difficult on players, uh, you know, playing for the Ottawa Senators and New Jersey Devils or San Jose Sharks. You know, some of these teams that we know for certain weren't going to uh, play playoff games in the 2019-20 season. And so, um, you know, this season is going to – I do think that no matter what happens, it's going to be full of firsts for all of us. There's going to be things that we've never seen before and probably will never see again, let's hope. And, um, you know, I think that – you know, this is probably the time you can do it, though, because I think everyone understands this is far, far beyond anything that, that's under the control and, and the people running the league and the Players Association are just trying to make the best of, of the situation that's been handed them. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to pick up on there is, I mean, because Rye lays out how completely opposite of ideal this could be for everyone involved. I mean, when it comes to free agency and the draft and just going through your normal processes, but from who you've talked to, do you, do you get the sense that, you know, fairly universally, everybody's on board to tackle an unprecedented situation and maybe sacrifice the way that things are usually done and, and make the drastic changes just to make sure they can get back on track and, and to get some hockey being played? Well, by and large, I do sense that. And, and let's face it, it's not entirely holistic either. I mean, a, a lot of that's driven by the fact that this is a business. And, you know, I think that the, both the league and the players share a desire to to try to get that business up and running again in some way, shape, or form to, to make back some of the revenues that are being lost by, by having things on pause right now, uh, to augment what's going to happen with escrow and all those things, which I realize in the, the wider you know, shape of the world right now, it doesn't really matter. There's, there's more important things going on. This virus is you know, flooding out hot- uh, hospitals rather in New York and stuff like that. But you know, there, is, there is a business concern. Uh, I think that that's, that's driving some of this too. And, and, so, you know, it's it, it goes both ways, but I do really sense that, that there's a spirit of cooperation in terms of trying to find solutions. You know, nothing's been ironed out probably to the degree. I'm, I'm making the sound probably a lot more certain than it actually is, but I do think it's a working model. It's, it's a potential pathway here to, to award uh, the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, after, you know, getting through uh, the worst of, of the COVID-19 crisis in North America. And so, um, you know, right now it's providing, I guess, some hope you know, especially for the athletes that are home, uh, you know, trying to, to train, doing push-ups and all the old-school training methods, not having access to their typical gym equipment for the most part and all those things. I mean, I think it's something that's, mm-hmm. that's keeping everyone in the right frame of mind um, right now and not, you know, just thinking well, everything's lost until September. So the, the conference call today with players, I saw you tweeting out at reporter Chris on Twitter some of the fun quotes uh, from the players that were on the call. Yeah, the and yesterday, didn't like those. They were on me for some of those. I thought everyone understood it was lighthearted. But... People were you, – you were getting flack for that? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Everyone's at home bored. It's easy to pick on a journalist. I mean, it's, uh, it's a popular activity on Twitter. So I, I was angry in the masses inadvertently today. It's... 
rather dumb. Uh, no need to uh, no need to be angry at CJ for just posting quotes. Um, what yesterday conference call with Bill Daly and the chief medical officer of the NHL? What were your takeaways from that? Just maybe how stark this is for them. You know, obviously uh, the league's chief medical officer is very uh, I won't say bogged down, but very. Uh, up-to-date on everything that's going on. Uh, in this case, the gentleman was speaking about staying in, in touch with, you know, the, the, the medical professionals with a similar title across the other sports leagues. And, you know, he spoke in very plain terms about uh, how this, this is going to get much worse in his view than, than it is right now. Uh, that, you know, because of that fact and because no one can predict with, with any degree of reliability essentially how high the curve is going to spike here or peak, you know, how bad this is going to get, it, it's hard to... To, to truly, if you're in a medical position, I think offer a timeline for how these things are going to unfold. I mean, it's one thing to talk the way we've just been talking about, you know, what could happen if things go well. Well, you know, I think the, you know, the, the league's medical people aren't, aren't assuming things are going to go well. They're trying to, to stay as up to date with all the regulations being put in place and, and those things. And, you know, it, it would be easy to, it was easy for me to come away from that conversation and feel a little bit more skeptical about the likelihood of things uh, picking up again, just because of you know how you know how starkly he laid out the scenario. But he also did mention you know ten days from now things will look different one way or another. You know he can't say if it's going to be better or worse, but you know this this thing is moving so quickly when you're following it to the degree he is. And so um, you know I, I commend the league for for making him available to a few reporters um, to to lay out some of these these things and explain the challenges uh, from a hockey standpoint. I mean he was very clear too that. In a dressing room, there's there's only so much you can control. I mean, it, you know, the, the coronavirus specifically lives on surfaces, and you know, obviously, you, you've got a lot of people sharing confined space. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if anyone were to to sneeze or cough and, and not have that area cleaned up right away, I mean, it could potentially spread easily that way. And so, you know, the the, the challenges are are significant, and I think that's probably what I, what I came away with is just uh, realizing that the league is, you know, that, that they're very. They're obviously monitoring this as close as you can, and, and you know I didn't come away feeling very certain that there would be the uh, meaningful games to be played, uh, you know, before next season. Chris Johnston's our NHL insider, joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg. CJ, it's been a pretty unusual ride for Tom Dundon as owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, billionaire, Texas, lot of money, had to reassure the fans that. Yes, Carolina was the the long-term plan, but from there it seemed seemingly been win after win. The way they've been able to uh, market the storm surge, you know, get all the way to the final four last year is kind of a Cinderella type team. They've made some pretty strategic and, and sound hockey moves. Uh, and now all of a sudden, maybe the first bad bit of PR since he assured fans he was going to stay in Carolina with uh, laying off full-time staff. What was your takeaway from where the Canes are at and the decision by a billionaire to not pay his staff based on income coming in and that one of many businesses he owns. Right. And, and, you know, he followed up today and said that there was some miscommunication there and they are going to pay staff. And, you know, I don't know if that's an about face, uh, you know, change of plans or if maybe there was some miscommunication, but, you know, the first thing that stands out to me about Tom Dunnan is he's not afraid to do things his own way. And and for a lot of the things you mentioned there, I, I think it's it serves his organization well, especially in the, a less traditional hockey market. I think you know the way that they've marketed the team, the, the storm surge, the whole bit. I think it's it's been positive. Um, but he's also uh, an owner of a team who let his GM interview for another GM's job this summer. If you remember Don Waddell, 
was was in Minnesota this summer interviewing for the job that Bill Guerin ended up getting uh, because his contract had expired with the Hurricanes. He, you know, obviously wound up not taking the job in Minnesota. He, he did get a new deal in Carolina, but this is a guy that, that sort of beats to his own drummer. Uh, and you know, I think in this case, you know, clearly with uh, it's hard for me. I can't know for sure whether the plan changed because of the backlash or whether there really was a misunderstanding in the the Raleigh News and Observer article that, that I first read about this last night. Um, but but certainly, uh, you know, I, I do think that that he is he's he's unique, and you know, he's one of the owners that's been calling on an expanded playoff format. Um, you know, I, I do think that a lot of what he says has value and you know no matter how they got to the outcome you know both them and new jersey i do credit both teams for at least after initially looking like they weren't going to pay people uh changing course and actually paying their staff because i think that's really important right now you know there's been some gms like jim nill in dallas who've voluntarily taken a pay cut to try to help uh some of the 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 more day-to-day staff inside the organization i mean i don't mind that so much um but you know the idea that you're laying off you know working class people that work in your organization that, that the lifeblood of keeping things going just the, the, the first time something bad hits and, and you have the kind of deep pocket someone like Tom Dundon does. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't sit well with me hearing that and evidently probably didn't sit well with the, the people that reacted that story last night. Yeah, no question. Final one for you, the quarantined edition. Uh, you've talked a bunch on Twitter about the series F1. Uh, that seems to be a hit amongst NHL players. And uh, have you uh, dove into tiger king yet i have not but it's on the list uh do you, can you advise me on that am i am i no I mean, the math neither of us can next week uh, homework boys well i watched mcmillions and i quite like that six series show about uh defrauding the mcdonald's monopoly game back in the 90s yes. uh that was pretty good i've enjoyed that f1 series uh, my wife and i have watched Shit's creek a bit and uh, we've caught up on that uh, so I'm looking for something new. Maybe Tiger King will be my next series. And is there See, one the F- sport that's... you've revisited that has uh, brought back some good or bad memories? Is there a, a top old sports moment you've revisited? I, there's not, but I do know on March 31st, uh, you know, as, as the network's replaying the Raptors run, that that's the, the game seven against Philadelphia where the erosion <laughs> shot went down at the buzzer. So I, I do have March 31st circled to watch that game back. Because uh, I was on Mother's Day last year, I was actually in Boston covering a playoff game, an NHL playoff game, and only caught part of that game. So I'll probably watch that. But to be honest, and, and I don't know if I'm alone in this, I haven't had the the appetite that I normally would to watch old sports. I don't know. It's just such a weird feeling these days. Uh, you know, I've been trying to take some time, I guess, to, to to get into some of these other shows that I usually don't make time for during the season because there's games every night. So um, I haven't been watching too much uh, old sports footage as of yet. The uh, the F1 series is pretty good. I'm a, I'm a huge F1 junkie, so anytime I see somebody watching uh, Drive to Survive, I'm like, yes, now you just got now just get on board with me, CJ, and become an F1 nerd, and and I'll have uh, I'll have completed my quest to convert all of North America to Formula One fandom. I think it's in me. You know, I used to watch it way back in the day when Jacques Villeneuve was was involved, and you know, I liked getting up on the weekends and watching those those races early. Uh, with my dad and stuff. So I think I could get back into it. Certainly the show, it helps so because it gives you all the story behind the story, kind of the, the stuff you wouldn't know if you haven't been following in recent years as I would. And uh, it's funny, I've been texting with a few current NHL players who are into it, and they're wondering why we don't have that kind of access to the NHL. And I, I wish I had an answer because I think, um, you know, they've you know, F1's a, a much wealthier sport. 
in, in some ways that the drivers are, are much more secluded from the media just on a day-to-day basis. And yet they're, they're giving pretty full access into some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I'd love to, to see things open up mm-hmm. even more at some point in the NHL. Thanks, CJ. All Thanks, right, man. Have a good one. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. That's a two Shits Creek references today. One solicited, the other completely uh, unsolicited. That's uh, uh, This might be making it on my page of things I write down that I want to watch before the apocalypse ends the sports apocalypse that is it's a growing list pat i'll read it for you the shield billions better call saul tiger king draft day the movie i haven't seen you recommended that uh i think you should Mm -hmm. leave it's supposed to be very funny and uh now amazing f1 is on the list so there you go and shit's great too i man I think you should leave is like I've watched it once and I got to watch I watched it once last week I already need to watch it again. It might be the funniest uh mini series that I've seen since the UK version of The Office came out almost 20 years ago. Like it is unbelievable how funny that stuff is. The the guy behind I think you should leave used to be an SNL writer and just like a right. completely bonkers zany stupid off the wall ridiculous sense of humor and snl nixed a bunch of his stupid skits like no that's too stupid for us so he took all of his too stupid for snl skits and brought them over to this netflix series and then put them together it's unbelievable i i I've, like some of the the lines and the completely inane awkward situations i i wholeheartedly recommend i think you should leave on netflix so they're each episode's like 20 minutes there's six of them or eight of them or whatever and you'll get you'll binge watch them in the span of two hours i guarantee it yeah good yeah list is long um i feel like this is becoming more content on the show is just how are we passing time when the wee ones are down in this pandemic because uh there's no sports at night i've noticed you notice that since when i think like 15 days or so i mean maybe off by a day or two but i feel like i'm close yeah i haven't noticed all right Um, next around the corner yeah wild card wednesday we've got that around the corner and then i have i'll give you the update on the simulated games uh from nhl 20 uh you can give us the update on the flames and ducks from nhl 94 again too we'll do that before the top of the hour too i was uh it was a bit of a process getting the NHL 20 simulation thing going, but I think I figured it out. Rosters are the way they are now, um, so I, I, I think I figured it out. So we'll do that before 4 o'clock, too. It's Pinder and Steinberg. Wild Card Wednesday's next. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, a Thursday edition of our favorite time killer on Pandemic Radio. Welcome back. Pinder, Logan, Steinberg along with you on this Thursday afternoon. I uh, came up with a couple of new ones on my uh, little uh, pre-show walk today. So I came up with a couple of new Wild Card Wednesday questions. I have uh, at least one in every category still. So uh, I am not running. How are your... uh, how are your reserves of questions doing, gentlemen? Are you running out at this point? 
I'm now starting to stockpile them where I have a couple in the holster. I can actually pick from multiple ones depending what category, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it's doing it more often. It's more front of mind, but I'm finding myself like, ooh, that's, that would be good for wildcard Wednesday. I'm doing that at like, you know, 7 p.m. on a Saturday. That, would, that's, that wouldn't have happened before. Logs? Um, I came up with some fresh ones today. Uh, I, I haven't stockpiled a bunch or anything like that yet, but I've changed some throughout the week as I've uh, just, you know, kind of seen what's going on left and right with what what kind of good questions I have or if I had something that I'd like better in a different category, then I've, I've switched it up. So, Your questions have been elite. You've, uh, you've got a run good. of three straight really good questions in a row so don't uh don't end that who uh, I, you know what I, I haven't gone first for a little bit i'll i'll kick her off today i'm ready All to right. rock and roll so let's uh let's start it we got five categories pop culture personal life career sports wild card let's do it sports sports all right uh gentlemen give me a time that you have been cut from a team give us a time when you have been cut from a sporting team uh, and and one that might stick in your mind when you've been told that, you know what, this year you're just not good enough. Oh, man. feel like the first time I didn't make top team in hockey would have been midget, and it was like, okay, this is, this is not uh, going to be happening for me anymore. I'm half the size of these other humans. These are men. I'm still a boy, and this is probably going to. We're going to have to wrap this up soon. This is not going to be a sport. I'm, uh, I'm afraid of my own shadow out here. This is going to be the end. So, that was uh, maybe year, yeah, <laughs> second year bantam or first year midget. It was not pretty, Pat. I was uh, a cruel joke played on me by nature. Logo. Um, ironically enough, uh, the sport that I probably played the most throughout uh, high school and like my teenage years was actually a sport I was cut from at a young age. I, I didn't make uh, peewee football or whatever the age group was. We had a large uh, group, a lot of the kids in our neighborhood, so they couldn't keep everybody. Um, the most embarrassing part about it, and there's two factors to this, is my probably my best friend, my long-term friend from elementary school, his dad was the coach of the team who decided to cut me and there was a child there with me that had crapped his pants. Uh, he made the team. I didn't make the team. That's a that real thing that happened. Yeah. Jeez. That's uh, that's that's the craps, hey, Logs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the uh, way the cookie crumbles in your in your pants or something like that. Yeah. Don't know if that's a saying, Logan. It is for me. Mixed up some different uh, <laughs> some different analogies. Uh, here's up. here's mine. I I don't know what like I've become rather. I, I feel like my self awareness of my limitations in life. I, I feel like I've I've got a pretty good handle on you know where I excel, uh, where I don't excel. Um, and one of the things that I have realized as I've grown older. I realized this, I want to say, over the last decade, decade and a half. There, there is nobody on the planet Earth worse at anything than I am bad at basketball. Like, you can give, <laughs> like, Pinder, Pinder singing, like, soprano or Logan 
doing tightrope across a pair of uh, high rises. You guys would be better at that than I am at playing basketball. Like nobody is worse at any activity than I am at basketball. Uh, but I didn't have that uh, that awareness or that knowledge in grade eight when I tried out for the Colonel Irvin um, Colonel Irvin senior basketball team or junior basketball team, I believe, whatever it was, grade eight. So I think I was tr- trying out for the junior team. Um, Mr. Weeks was the basketball coach. And, you know, I went out, I tried out, I, I balled hard, boys. I, I went as, as hard as I possibly could. Um and I remember leaving the, the first tryout saying, well, I don't think I was very good compared to other people. Other people were hitting shots and doing layups. And I was I was flailing about with very little control. I think I kicked my left leg up when I took a shot. Um, I looked like I've never played the sport before. I was bouncing the ball off my foot, all those types of stuff. Anyway... I don't, I don't think they cut anybody after the first practice except me. I think that everybody else got to go through like three or four oh. or five different tryout days. I remember the that next hurt. day, Mr. Weeks comes up to me at my locker, and I'm like, what is he doing here? He never talks to me. And then as he was like, hey, Pat, how you doing? As soon as he started talking, I'm like, he's going to cut me from the basketball team. And uh, he <laughs> cut me. He's like, Hey, uh, like you tried really hard and, and, you know, I I really appreciate you coming out, but you know, we're starting to make cuts and and I just wanted to inform you that it's probably just not going to work out. He's very nice about it. But then I asked some of the other friends, I'm like, did anybody else get cut? Like, nope, it was just you, man. So I was the (laughs) only guy cut from the uh, first day of grade eight, Colonel Irvin junior basketball. Uh, that was, I I don't think, no. Oh, I have the really pasty, skinny white legs. Um, Short shorts and wristbands, that that sort of stuff. Too big for my head. Just uh, basketball, not my sport, gents. And that was my first real wake-up call to maybe my career as a basketballer wasn't going to happen. That's that's too bad, Pat. I can feel the pain in that story from you. That's still a little embarrassing, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Even telling it, that brings up some bad memories. Okay, who's going next? Uh, I'll give her a go. Ryan, you okay with that? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Logan. You'll be good. Keep her rolling. Keep her rolling. Logan's been on a heater here with questions. Let's see what he's got. Personal life. All right. Uh, I was trying to remember when I came up with this question how we got onto the topic of this yesterday, but I remember at one point uh, one of you, I believe it might have been Pat, and you guys kind of went on this for a couple minutes, that a first date at a movie theater – is just bunk. Yes. It's a terrible idea. Don't ever do it. So Ryan, married with two kids, and Pat, the ladies' man that he is, I was curious, what did you do on your most successful first date? Hmm. Ooh. That's a really good one. I sort of think, um, as not original as it is, but just the idea of, Going and sitting down and having a meal is a good. You're face to face. You talk. Um, you get to see if someone's civilized or not. But I always thought a concert was a good one too. You can kind of see if someone's you know got some rhythm and if things are going well. You can dance. You, you could do like a dinner and followed by going to a place with live music. I feel like you're going to learn a lot about someone. 
I think the most successful first dates that I've ever had, I, I had a for a little while there, like because you know we've all heard my early twenties stories about being awkward, can't even talk to a uh, to a female server, let alone be able to like ask somebody on a date or carry on a conversation with a member of the opposite sex without urinating myself. So I, I went through that phase of my life, and then at some point in my mid to late twenties, uh, approaching my thirties, I became far more confident about myself and i actually uh, was able to uh speak to uh speak to members of the opposite sex um so any of my successful first dates have always been going for drinks and there's a few reasons why first of all you go to a bar it's a laid-back environment um you know you for me even having a couple of sips it's it's not even the necessary necessarily the physiological element of it just the overall mental side of it once you start having a couple of sips of a beer or whatever you're drinking the inhibitions go down and then if you you know if you end up on a second one uh which is always a good indication when the waitress or, or the waiter comes by and says hey hey, would you guys like another one? And I say, hey, do you want another one? And she says, yeah, I would like another one. You're like, okay, this is going well because they'd like to extend and continue the conversation. So any of my successful first dates that have led to anything, whether it be that night or beyond, have always been drinks and then my next move is also after a date or two that have gone well, then the second or third date has always been the sushi and and taking them to one of my favorite sushi spots in the city and and seeing if i can impress with my use of chopsticks and my sushi ordering and that type of stuff and it's a good social meal to go to so that's kind of been the the formula that has uh worked in my uh very short amount of time being able to relatively so compared to the rest of my life short amount of time being able to speak to women i have to ask this though rye what was the first date with your wife we met at a concert, but that wasn't the first date. The first date we we kind of had two because the first one really didn't transpire the way that we'd wanted it to go down. But essentially, I took her to see a DJ at a club, and we met up very late in the night. And uh, there'd been some some booze ingested on both sides, so the first one was maybe requiring a second one with a more sober performance. And I actually went over and cooked her dinner at her house so wow yeah. very romantic mm -hmm. from mr pinder do you remember the meal she had provided the meal and my job was to barbecue so i, I when i say cooked i probably am oh. overstating my role in the presentation but i imagine she would have made a very healthy salad and then i had this massive piece of beef that was to be cooked and she'd marinated it and i demand the barbecue so did you over that did you good. overcook it <laughs> Not by much. <laughs> it's always the worst. Like because any time that I, any time early on that you're trying, like when you're trying to impress a, a a woman with your cooking, that's like my biggest fear is. So there's two of them. A, it tastes like trash, and B, that I I overcook it. Um, that that's always my biggest fear. So you've uh, you've you've certainly done. That's a that's a solid way to uh, to end up going down that road mr pinder uh what about you logs any any successful first date stories that uh there's been very very few of them they've been far between but probably the most successful one is the classic calgary one is and i think it's probably 
my age group. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but Zoo Lights is always a, a pretty go-to. Well, Zoo one. Lights is good. If That's you can solid. Not Let's get a yeah. minus forty degree night and freeze yourself off, and then you know it's pretty good. It's you know something to do. You can walk around. You can talk to the person. You know, uh, it gets cold. You give your jacket, that sort of crap. So I would say that's probably my uh, most successful that plan. Sort of crap. <laughs> Just a romantic oh, pat. What can I say? Arm and arm. Hey, here's my uh, here's my jacket and crap. You want it? You look cold. Put on uh, this stupid jacket. You should dress warmer. Come on, let's go. Uh, yeah. Logan just <laughs> killing it with the questions. Logan, you need nice. to be a mainstay on Wild Card Wednesday when the world returns. Yeah. Doesn't matter what shift you're working or what's going on. You need to be a mainstay on Wild Card Wednesday. That is four straight elite questions from Logo. Uh, all right, Pinder, that's uh, a tough act for you to follow, but let's see what you got. Career. Okay. You are a program director for a TV station or radio station of your choice. You have significant budget. Which current athlete is at the top of the route into the broadcasting field? Say that one more. You cut out there just at the very end. So can you hear me now? Am I here? Yeah, yeah, yeah you just cut out for a second, but it, it, it messed up the we gist have a, of the You question. have a significant budget. We we are tr- we're looking at bringing an athlete into the broadcast world. Be that in a broadcast booth at live events, be that on a show, be that on something in studio. We see the the work Tony Romo's done with much fanfare. You mm-hmm. look at that ESPN countdown on the weekends with the former players. Which current player would you have at the top of your list to get into the broadcasting world at the end of their career? Oh, current player. Current player is tough because there's lots like the Peyton Manning makes a lot of sense. I can understand why ESPN's all over that one. Current player, do you have a current one, Pat? I got to, I got to dive a little bit. I've got a, I've got a couple that are coming to mind right now. Um, I think, I think Drew Brees is uh, would be perfect for uh, moving into football in some form or another. He's well spoken. He is extremely cerebral the way he plays the game. Um, I, I just think that you know uh, he he would be a perfect guy whether it be on the the panel type part of things or to be in the booth and 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 doing color. I think Drew Brees would be a great guy to make the jump. I'm trying to think. In hockey, who would be a really good guy with per- like I think I think PK Subban would make uh, and, and and has before Subban has made a, a really good studio analyst. I, I think that you could make whenever Subban's career comes to an end. I think you could make uh, an entire telecast centered around him um you know not just a a coach's corner type thing in the first intermission like you can make him one of the stars of saturday night or wednesday night or whatever so pk suvan would be the guy that comes to mind from the nhl and drew Brees, the guy that comes to mind from the nfl i don't know if there's anybody else that um really jumps off the page to me uh, that, that comes to mind right now. I, I was looking through here. Brent Burns would be a guy on my list Ooh, that would be interesting. Yes. Seems like he's got enough personality and, you know, would understand the, the platform a bit and kind of, even if he was rough at first a bit, you could definitely polish up and eventually turn into a really solid guy with some great stories, I feel like. 
Um, and I was actually thinking uh, someone along the lines of like Vaughn Miller in the NFL is somebody that uh, would kind of pique my interest as someone who was elite at his position, but you know definitely has other interests, pretty strong opinionated guy on stuff. I feel like he'd be uh, a guy that I'd like to get on to uh, a broadcast at some point and see what he's got. Um, okay, so there's the Bennett brothers, right? It's Mart- Martellus Bennett, and there's another Bennett. Is there not? Yeah, Michael. Michael. One of the two, and I'm going to confuse them, has been sensational on Twitter. Smart, funny, never afraid to speak his mind. I, I think that would be one guy NFL-wise. Clearly, Pat's going down the road that's been traveled and done with a ton of success. You're going to go get a future Hall of Fame quarterback. That's probably a move that's going to pay off. Um, and the other one that is a little under the radar because I don't know that baseball is the best at showcasing its athletes' personalities. Kiki Hernandez of the LA Dodgers is absolutely a riot. Probably the funniest professional athlete. If you just hop in through YouTube and just type in Kiki Hernandez and like funny or silly or comedy, like he's in the dugout wearing a banana costume. He's like fixed up a bat and covered it with gum. He's, you know, and he can chirp in two different languages. I feel like that's a guy that, just incredibly funny that would absolutely kill it. And for hockey, I think Joe Thornton would probably be pretty cool. I mm. see that sort of yeah, came to mind good. when you mentioned Brent Burns, because every player that's had a chance to play alongside Joe at any point of their career can't do anything but rave about Joe. So I feel like uh, that those would be three from three of the four sports and uh, NBA. I don't know that anything is uh, jumping out at me at this point. I had no, another no. one for baseball. Yeah. I'm curious. You guys, I don't know if it would work now after all the sign stealing stuff goes down, but I think Justin Verlander might be an interesting guy to get on the booth or something like that. Yeah. No, he's always been really uh, insightful and not just spewing out cliches and one sentence answers. He's always yep. been a thoughtful guy. A little less so after the, the Astros scandal, but um, if, correct me if I'm wrong. That was the year where they airlifted him halfway through and, things would have been in place well before he got there. And he would have been a guy that, you know, as a pitcher wouldn't have really been involved much in it. I'm, I'm trying to, I guess, absolve him, but yeah, I, I think that's a good pick. Yep. I like that. Good questions, gentlemen. Another solid addition this time on a Thursday of wildcard Wednesday. This has been wildcard Wednesday on Sportsnet 960. The fan. A little bit of text reaction at 960-960. Our three questions today. The first one was, uh, have you ever been cut by a team? Or tell us a time when you were cut by a team. couple of texts. Uh, I used to be good at basketball up to fifth grade. I haven't made a basket since the sixth grade. It was so strange <laughs> to be decent to dog shirt just like that. Uh, this one, uh, Pat, my school didn't have enough players for basketball. Three games in, I hadn't made a basket. Coach came to me, said, maybe just stick to passing. <laughs> Wow. You got plenty of strengths. <laughs> um, Logan asked, uh, best first dates. Here's a couple of uh, responses. Um, me and my current girlfriend, our first date, we went to the Boudoir Rouge. That's That the would not red bedroom. be. Yeah, the Red Bedroom wow. would not be the spot that I would be going to. But I like that. Well done. Um, you learn a lot about someone there, yeah. Hot air balloon ride. Try that for a first date. Like you've really got to be trying to impress the person if you're going hot air balloon ride for the first date. But hey, all the power to you. Uh, Wedley writes: All the girls I've dated hate sushi, so I'm going to take Pat's advice and find a sushi girl. Um, this 
I think Pinder would get behind this one. Best first date would be the coffee shop score. Don't even drink coffee, but $9 down and three hours later, great success, as Borat would say. Great cool. success. There's Very some nice. funky coffee shops in this city that you can certainly have a good first date experience in. And then finally, this one. Eight-hour first date at the McDonald's play place was supposed to be a quick coffee and meet. We both had kids. The kids loved it. They had lunch and supper and kept meeting new friends. That's not that's not a bad one. You know, you, you uh, adapt to your lifestyle. I don't mind that one at all, the McDonald's play place date with uh, you meeting the other person and you both have kids and the kids, you would be able to relate to that one a little bit more. Here's another good text, too. The uh, We asked which current athlete would be a really good broadcaster post-career mark shifley in winnipeg yeah anytime i've seen him on like first off loves the game huge fan of the sport watches it when he's not playing but so comfortable on camera on mike i think that's a great pick and we, we definitely whiff not mentioning shifley i think i think kachuk would be pretty good too the one that plays here uh that guy yeah. is as dialed in on the nhl as anybody there is on top of that, really well-spoken, comfortable talking in front of people. He's He's got the swagger. I think that once his career is done, he'd have opinions. I mean, he's already – he's stay off the tracks to Zach Cassian and all the smack talk to, to Drew Doughty. I don't think he'd have any uh, worries at all going after guys on, on TV. I think Matthew Kachuk would make a pretty good, um, pretty good post-career if he went into broadcasting too. Don't disagree with that at all. Good addition to Wild Card Wednesday. Okay, up next, um, I have got it. I've 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 figured out how to sim games on NHL 20. So we'll get you a little bit of an update there. And Pinder has the latest from his NHL 94 extremely realistic Calgary Flame simulation as well. Apparently, Al McKinnis has gotten back into Pinder's good books. That's next on Pinder and Steinberg Sportsnet 960. The fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, it's 3.53, another day in uh, sports apocalyptic pandemic radio. Ryan Pinder from uh, my wife's home office, Pat Steinberg from his Beltline condo, and Logan Gordon back in our downtown studios for Basement Systems. Patty? There's been all kinds of people trying to simulate the end of the NHL season. We've seen stats, people doing it with their models. I've been doing it on NHL 94, and clearly you're getting jealous sitting on the sidelines. You've joined the simulation world with us today. I don't know if jealous is the word. I think I just thought it was such a good idea. I, like, I, I want to be part of this thing. Um, nobody has come up with the idea. Nobody since sports has, has gone on hiatus has come up with the idea of using video games to simulate them. You were the first person to do it. Uh, so I thought that uh, maybe I'd get on the train and become the second person to do it uh, on planet Earth. Uh, you did it on NHL 94. Uh, now, you've been doing it ever since the Flames have stopped playing, including last night's showdown with the Anaheim Ducks. What can you tell us? Well, Al McInnes had just been awful out of the gate. I don't know if it was adjusting to, to me as a new manager here as we simulate the remainder of the Flames 2019-20 uh, season with the NHL 94 Sega Genesis roster. But McInnes has played his way right out of the doghouse. Three assists last night in a 6-2 victory over the lowly Ducks. And the Reichel experiment on the wing has been just okay. Uh, Joe Neuendijk's been on the bench a bit. We've seen a few injuries up front, but... Uh, 
really it's it's Roberts and Flurry, the engine up front. Gary Suter is a sneaky MVP type candidate on this club. But now that Al McKinnis has come into play, uh, it's just an unstoppable group. Six wins in a row. They are now seven and one since uh, the real season ended and NHL 94 took over. And uh, man, the Ducks are awful. Like really, really bad. You'd have a tough time naming players off this team. Guy who were some of the Who were some of the like players? A, Guy Hebert and who yeah. else? Yeah, he was like a set of swinging doors at the saloon. Anything was going in and out. It didn't matter. Uh, Anatoly Semenov, Terry Yake. Uh, it's oh. it's not pretty. It, it really isn't. Yeah. Yuck. Um, I have not gotten up to that game. I've simulated the first two games the Flames missed. Um, the March 12th game versus the New York Islanders, 4-2 Flames home ice win. Um, Ooh, Elias Lindholm yes. leading the way, goal and three points. Uh, other three goals, Eric Gustafson's first as a member of the Flames, Johnny Gaudreau wow. and Dylan yes. Dubé. David Riddick, I went with Riddick in net, um, and Riddick made 28 saves uh, and earned the start the oh. next game. Yeah, 28 save performance for Riddick, and he earned the next start against the Winnipeg Jets as well on uh, March 14th. 4-1 win for the Flames over the Jets. Come Big on. win, knowing where things are in the standings. And Mark Jankowski leading the way with a couple of goals. A um, couple of assists for Michael Backlund and Dylan Dubé, too. Lindholm with another goal. Hannafin scored in a 26-save performance from David Riddick. So 4-2 win over the Islanders, 4-1 win over the Jets to finish off that homestand. Uh, I will uh, get the other ones going here uh, when we're playing one of our pre-tape things coming up this hour. Well, and that's interesting because Riddick at home has struggled, but now you go out onto the road for three games in the New York area. Riddick's already hot. He's been better on the road uh, all season. And you do have a back-to-back out of the gate starting on Broadway before you go to Long Island. So it's going to be Talbot and Riddick. Have you put much thought into who gets the start on Broadway and who's going to start against the Isles? Uh, I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go with Talbot to start. Um, he'll get the first game on the Monday, and then my, my plan as of right now is to go Talbot Rangers and Devils and Riddick against the Islanders. That's the plan right now. I'm, I'm still, okay. you know, Riddick's got two in a row here. I want to get Talbot some games, so that's my plan as it stands right now. Uh, any update? Uh, clearly, I heard uh, Hamannick was in there. Or excuse me, Hannafin was in, so he's he's healthy enough to play. Hamannick, mm-hmm. I assume, is in as well. Yes, I put Hamannick back in, unscratched him. Uh, the pairings, uh, Giordano with, what am I going with? Giordano with Anderson, Hannafin with Hamannick, Brody with Gustafson is what I'm going with right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I wouldn't have expected you to throw it down that way. You got, uh, mm, interesting. Okay. And Michael Backlund's hot plate continues. That's a positive sign for the Flames down the stretch here. Yeah, he's got three points in his last two games, so he continues to roll. That line has been good, and, uh, Jack Kelsey with two goals against the Jets as well. So uh, some promising Stop trends. Playing. Those are important couple of games for the Flames to finish off the homestand. I'll, I'll go simulate the next few games uh, in our next uh, in our next segment here. Sadly, this was to be opening day in Major League Baseball. Patty uh, was very much looking forward to the start of this baseball season. Clearly, no surprise that it's not starting on time, and we'll see how much of the season disappears. Never mind, gets started. Uh, but here's what Major League Baseball did today on their website for every team of the 30 in the majors, a pretty special game for each fan base to watch. Uh, probably doesn't take too many guesses to figure out what MLB.com decided to play for Blue Jays fans today.
Anthony Bass, a new member of the Blue Jays bullpen, tweeted this today when Major League Baseball tweeted out the clip of the bat flip. I was out in the bullpen with the Rangers that day pulling for Dyson, the pitcher, when it happened. This moment was the loudest baseball environment I've ever been a part of in my career. I couldn't hold a conversation with the guy sitting next to me. So there's a little trip down memory lane. Game five against the Texas Rangers in 2015 in the ALDS. We'll that come back. A heck of an afternoon. Uh, I remember exactly where I was. We weren't doing the show that day, so I was on my couch watching the game when Bautista crushed that thing. Uh, one of the uh, one of the coolest afternoons I can remember. Hudson's downtown. Good place Good to spot. be for that one. Good spot. Holy. That's where I was. More Pinder and Steinberg when we come back. Sports 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, how about the uh, situation the Minnesota Wild found themselves in, Rye? They, you know, it's been kind of a weird season, but they were staying in it, hanging in. They fire Bruce Boudreaux, what, about a month ago, the head coach? Um, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, okay, so they fired Bruce Boudreaux. They've already lost their general manager. Uh, what is this wild team going to do? Well, the wild just decided to keep on winning games. Dean Evason, now their interim head coach and just keeping on winning games and staying in the playoff mix. Uh, it, it was a really curious decision, wasn't it? It was, I yeah, it was because it was like he was up at the end of the year and, you know, he's probably bound for the hall when this is done with his regular season success he's had over the course of his career being, you know, one of the highest winning percentages of all time in the sport. And that, you know, maybe you could save some face. But I think talking to people a little closer to it, the thought was that this was a group that believed they could get in even after a Zucker deal and that if they could get a little bit of a spur from a coaching change that they could find themselves in the thick of a mix, which is actually what's happened to a lot of people outside of the organization and outside of that market surprise. Uh, but yeah, it's, he's a guy that's incredibly well-respected for his work in the regular season. And yet there, they were moving away from him in what looked like a lost regular season, although it never played out that way. Check in with the gang at Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet. Jeff Merrick and the crew caught up with the now free agent head coach, Bruce Boudreaux. How are you today, Gabby? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks for calling me. It's, well, it's, it's not it's much our, going it's, on right now. <laughs> well, listen, when, uh, when there's no sports and specifically no hockey, you can never go wrong calling someone whose nickname is Gabby. So I'm surprised we actually haven't called you sooner. What does Bruce Boudreaux do uh, in the era of social distancing? Well, really, not much. I've been sort of, me and my wife, this is our 13th straight day of sort of quarantining ourselves uh, in the house. But um, uh, there's not a lot going on. And you just try to uh, search the Internet, see for anything uh, sports-wise, Hockey-wise going on, we've uh, put on some old hockey tapes uh, uh, just to keep keep interested. But other than that, it's uh, uh, not a lot going on here. What what, what kind of old uh, old hockey tapes would, would interest Boos Boudreaux? I'm always curious because I know like 
Bruce, you've forgotten more about the game than I'll ever know. What interests you? Like when you put on a tape to watch or a DVD to watch, what hockey game is it? What hockey video? Well, you know what uh, we watched yesterday was um, uh, the uh, Winter Classic when Washington played Pittsburgh. Um, stuff right. you you sit back at at the home and you know you go through things because there's nothing to do, so you're finding little uh, little things that you haven't seen in ten or fifteen years when you're walking around the house and opening drawers and stuff. And uh, <laughs> and that was one of the games we watched, and it was. Uh, it was crazy. I wanted to show my son. Uh, um, he, he, you know, he keeps asking me about when I played. So I showed him the last game I played against Kalamazoo. I think was '93. Uh, we watched that the other day, and then I, we kept digging and found out a 1981 game where um, Quebec and Toronto played that I was playing in it. We watched that. So, man. We're picking at straws right now to find something to do. <laughs> Berkey, go ahead. Hey, Gabby. How are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Good, thanks. So we were telling slap shot stories, and uh, and I know you were part of that whole thing, so I'll ask you your recollections. But I was telling these guys, I played against Jeff and Steve Carlson when they were in high school. They're from Virginia, Minnesota. And then I played summer hockey with and against Dave Hansen. Three really good guys that have made a – Real good living out of uh, one one summer shooting a movie. Yes, and and, we, and you tell your your little role in this. Oh, my major part in the movie. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, um, I was a member of the Johnstown Jets at the time, and uh, that's the team that the Charlestown Chiefs were uh, sort of uh, or were definitely made from, and. So I mean, everybody on the on the team got a part, but it was uh, the story as it was made. There was a, a girl by the name of Nancy Dowd. Her her brother uh, Ned Dowd played for the team a couple years ago, and she was doing um, a thesis uh, uh, in, in uh, college. And she did her thesis on uh, on a script. She was writing a play, and uh, she stayed with the team for two weeks, and and. She, the the movie from being with the team for two weeks and but my part was was simple I was just a player and and uh, being sort of the ham that I that I was back then uh, there was a couple scenes that I got a, got my face on the movie because uh, George Roy Hill said well, at one point he said he said okay I'm just going to focus on the net and watching uh, how um, uh, the Charlestown Chiefs are getting scored on and getting abused and everything so all i did was circle the net and circle the net and uh uh, my face got on there a few times but uh uh, it was a really fun thing to do i had no idea that 45 years later that uh, it would be such an iconic movie but it was well at least there's no alcohol involved in shooting that movie Oh my God! Don't let's not talk there. <laughs> hey, I was I was told a story. I always wanted to ask you about this, Bruce. What the Bruce Boudreaux? I always wanted to ask you about this, Gabby. That scene that you're talking about, where Denis Lemieux is getting lit up, and there's a scene of you. You're uh, with I think Hyannisport, uh, the green jerseys, yeah. and you're, you're behind the net. And there's the shot of Bruce Boudreaux raising his arms as um, uh, as as uh, as the Chiefs get scored on. I was told that. You, in that scene, just kept circling around and around the net just to make sure that you somehow got in the movie. Is that true? 
That's a hundred percent true. Hundred uh, percent. I mean, the, the play was on the in, was in zone, and they were supposed to, uh, you know, just show that Johnstown or Charleston was uh, was always, you know, defending. And but I never left the never left the crease. I just kept circling the net and circling the net. And at the end, the puck comes to me. I put it in the net and I raise my hand. And that's my credit. I scored a goal in the movie. And so George Roy Hill, he had worked with Paul Newman and Coolhand Luke, right? And Martin Struther, Struther. And the Sting, too. And the Sting, yeah, that's right. And I think he did um, uh, Butch Cassidy. I'm not sure, but I think he did Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid uh, with Redford and, and Newman and Newman as well. Let me get let me get one more slap shot question, and then I'm going to turn it over to Justin Bourne. Um the Struther Martin character, okay, um, yes. Joe McGrath, uh, yeah. based loosely or tightly on Johnny Mitchell, who would have been the GM of Johnstown. How close to <laughs> Joe McGrath was John? Uh, how, how close to John Mitchell was Joe McGrath? Oh, he was he was Johnny Mitchell, a hundred percent. Yeah, like I mean, I don't know about the stories about him being in the penalty box and stuff, but uh, as he acted towards our team. And the the fiscal responsibility that he had was right up there. <laughs> That's Bruce, what what uh, my my boy is three and a half years old. How old should he be when I when I first show him slap shot? Twenty. Oh. <laughs> you know, it depends. Um, that's a tough question. I think I was showing my kids at seven, and they still oh, talk oh, no. that way to this day. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, I'll I'll take us out of the uh, the slap shot stories as, as fantastic as they are. I, I still think it's the it's the all time greatest movie I've ever seen. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, one of the things we were talking about before break um, was the draft. Brian Burke was giving us uh, some stories of some guys who were great uh, at their interviews. Um, Gabriel Landeskog being someone who's fantastic. They had uh, some more challenges with Nail Yakupov. I wonder if any interviews that you did over your time in hockey stand out in, in a particular, particularly positive or negative way. Like, for like, there was no draft interviews when I was being drafted or anything. Um, uh, we never got a chance ever to talk to uh, management. As a matter of fact. Uh, I, I don't know if you're talking about interviews in general or at the draft, but um, uh, when, when my draft year, uh, we, we didn't even have a place to go. It was a telephone draft, and there was two years there that they, the, what they didn't want, uh, they didn't want the WHA to know who was being drafted, I think is the way the story goes, and so they did it by, uh, uh, by telephone, and you just had to wait at home. But we never got any pre-draft, interviews uh, as such i remember talking to my agent who was bill waters at the time and they would they he would tell me um where you were ranked or where you were rated and then you sat at home and you waited for the call so would, would head coaches not sit in at the draft on the interviews no oh i mean okay. the, the teams that i back then the teams okay. that i've been on uh we didn't get to sit in on them i don't know if if brian had his head coach Sit on uh, on the meetings um, uh, when they did the combines and the and the and talk to the kids at all. I never got that opportunity. Uh, so who, who no, was part of the problem? Was the coaches had their meeting in the one day? You guys had a meeting, Gabby, the the day before the draft or the day of the draft when we were talking to kids. But otherwise, hmm. it, uh, my recollection is the coaches were welcome. This goes back. 
back, I was never drafted, but this goes back when my first year working for Pat, so 87. Even for that draft, the next year was when we drafted Trevor London. We flew seven kids in and did a battery of psychological and physical tests, including uh, Trevor never, never got tested. You've heard that story. But Mike Medano, mm-hmm. Curtis LeCision. Um, so it goes back at least to 87, but your draft year was before that, Gabby. Yeah, no, mine was 75, and uh, they didn't have anything like that. And, and as a coach, uh, when I started in 2007, I was never uh, – George invited me to the Combine one year, and I don't think I sat in on interviews uh, with players that year, but that was the only year I went to, to the Combine, and it was in Toronto. Um, but it, Bob Murray or um, Chuck or, or Paul, uh, with those GMs, I never got a chance to uh, get in the interview stage with the players. So who called and rightfully you? so. They're, they're 18 years old, and um, sure. uh, you know, I, I probably wasn't going to see them for a couple years anyway. I'm curious who called you. Like, you're a third-round pick in 1975. Would it have been Bill Waters? Would it have been someone from the Maple Leafs? How did you find out you were drafted? Uh, well, I was sitting at home with my dad in the basement, and uh, um, the phone rang a lot. Lo- it took a lot longer for that phone to ring than I really wanted it to ring. Um, uh, but <laughs> I think I answered it, and I think it was uh, a secretary in Alan Eagleson and Bill Waters' office that told me because um, she sounded really excited uh, that I was a third round pick and she couldn't understand how like utterly disappointed I was. And it was like, Oh, okay. Uh, Bill will be talking to you later. And then that was it. <laughs> I never got drafted, but out and before my senior year, the Philadelphia Flyers listed me. You used to be able to go list college players that you missed in the draft. And uh, that's how the Flyers got my rights. I, I sailed right through the draft. <laughs> There's no discussion mm-hmm. about that. Well, and uh, how many rounds was it back then? 12 or something? 12, yeah, 13? even more, probably yeah. 20, and I didn't get drafted. Yeah. Well, you've done quite well for yourself, <laughs> Mr. Burke. Thank you. Yeah, no, 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 one's, no one's crying for Brian here. Uh, Brian's done uh, very well, to your point, Bruce. With uh, Bruce Boudreau, um, when I look at your career, let's see if we have time here to get into the coaching, but when I look at your playing career, would I be wrong in saying, and you can you can pick which, which year it was, one of those Marlboros teams you played on in junior hockey was the best team you ever played on? Uh, I would have to say so, yeah. I mean, uh, excuse me, you can look at it two ways. The first Memorial Cup team in 72-73, we lost mm-hmm. seven games all year. Mm-hmm. Um uh, the the last Memorial Cup team we played on, we scored 458 goals or something. And I mean, uh, we averaged almost 10 goals a game at home. Um, so <laughs> it, it's a true story. And I mean, you had guys like Mark Napier, um, John Tonelli, John Smirk, John Anderson, Mike Kazicki. I mean, these guys we could score with uh, as well as anybody. Um, but the, the overall team, I think the 72 team with Mark Howe and um, uh, Glenn Goldup and Peter Marin and Bob Daly and Mike Palmatier was, uh, was the best team that I was, I was on. And, and the great story about that team was we played um, almost the whole team played together the year before in Junior B. There was no Tier 2 back then. 
And we, we lost four games during the course of the year, and I think 13 players moved up to play on the next team uh, next year. And so we were all together, but there we had, like, um, uh, some great players uh, uh, growing up in Toronto at that point. I was really fortunate to play with some of those guys. So let me ask you a question, Gabby. We've, we've had a bunch of head coaches on the last week. We asked them all about their path, their, how they got to be an NHL head coach. What was your first coaching job? My first coaching job was um, Muskegon. Uh, a new league was formed called the Colonial Hockey League in 1994. And I went I, back then I, as a player, uh, I was 37 years old, and, and I kept going to the drafts every year. And this draft was in uh, Quebec, and Larry Gordon um, came up and asked me if I wanted to coach a new expansion team in, in Muskegon. And uh, and I was sitting there going, and they offered me a three-year deal. And I'd been, since I'd been 30 years old, been going on one-year deals in hockey. And I knew that the one year that I didn't score 80 or 100 points was the year I was never going to get another job again. So when somebody offers you a three-year deal, you jump at it. It's something that I'd wanted to do, and I'd been a uh, player assistant coach in Fort Wayne for two years, and same thing with the with, even with the Leafs um, when I was in St. Catharines, I was player assistant coach. And, uh, so it was something I wanted to do, and I said I better uh, um, either take this opportunity or, or forget about it because you never know when the opportunities are going to arise. So that was my first shot at coaching in Muskegon. But you had you had been you, a player, a player coach, head coach, or a player assistant coach. I was a player assistant coach up to that point, and being very fortunate is that I never there was never um, a time of no job. It was a, it was I went right from player to coach, and there was uh, <clears throat> there was never you know sort of a, oh my god what am I going to do? Maybe I got to get into coaching or or something like that. I never missed a season, which was really lucky for me. Well, you were a great minor league player. People didn't get a chance oh. to see you play. You, you were a phenomenal. I remember watching you play. You were awesome skill level and compete level. Anyway, so how, how long in Muskegon? I was one year in Muskegon, and then um, I went right back to the International League into Fort Wayne the next year uh, and coached in Fort Wayne um, for two years. It, it's funny how things happen. The, the first year I win the coach of the year, we go to the finals. The second year, is a lockout year in the NHL. I'm fired at Christmas. Um, <laughs> the the uh, the third year um, uh, went to San Francisco as an assistant coach. Uh, assistant GM was Jean Perron. That team lasted one year, and then I'm sitting at home and uh, in St. Catharines at this point, and I have no idea what I'm going to do. And uh, Steve Bartlett uh, helped me get a job in. Uh, I told my wife at the time, I says, you know what? Uh, the only job that's opening in the East Coast League is, is in Mississippi. Uh, do you want to go to Mississippi and coach hockey? Because they knew nothing about hockey there. <laughs> and we went there for three years, had a tremendous time. The people were awesome. We averaged almost 8,000 people a game there. And uh, um, I was affiliated with L.A. at the time. And uh, after the third year when we won the championship, um, Bill O'Flaherty and Dave Taylor interviewed me, and then I got their their American League job in Lowell. And then uh, when that tenure ended, went to Hershey, and uh, and when got called up to the NHL from there, and 
and I've been here ever since. So how many years? Sorry, one more question for Gabby. Yeah. How many years, including your first year in Muskegon, how many years coaching and pro in the minors before you got your first head job? Uh, 94 to uh, 2007, 13 years coaching in the minors, and then the last 12 years in the NHL. And some of our listeners would be shocked that it took a a coach of your caliber that long. That's what we're trying to bring out with these stories is it ain't that easy to get an NHL head coaching job. Oh, my God. There's only 31 of them, and I was 53 years old when I got my first opportunity to coach in the NHL, and... I had almost given up on that opportunity. As a matter of fact, it was funny. When I got the uh, uh, the call from George to go up there, um, the, my first question to him was, because it was a, as an interim head coach, I said, okay, uh, that's great. I'll come up here and, you know, and did cartwheels getting there, but do I still have my job in Hershey when, the, when you hire a real coach? That was my most concern. And because wow. uh, I had just signed a four-year deal to coach in, in Hershey, and I wanted to, to make sure that um, a lot of times you get an interim job and you're out, and then they've already hired another guy in the minors, and you're sort of out of the organization. And I didn't want that to happen to me. So, yeah, that's a lot like the Scott Gordon situation from Lehigh Valley a year ago. But they, put, it, they put him right back there. Yeah, and that's because Chuck is such a good guy. A lot of guys wouldn't do that, but. Chuck is a pretty loyal and, and good guy, and that's what he did. Uh, let's get last question in for uh, for Justin Bourne. Go ahead, Borny. I'm just wondering if you you know looking back at all those uh, different experiences from you know throughout the minors, throughout all those different places um, that, that you've been around the U.S. What's changed in hockey it, that uh, that you miss? Uh, I just feel like when I look back at uh, when I watch hockey in the '80s and '90s, it was more open free-flowing, and, like, you would have coached differently. What was better about hockey uh, that's changed today? I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's better or worse, but I, one of the things I liked, and I, and I understand the, the reasoning, is I liked the, the buildings. Like, if you went into the Boston Garden, for example, and it's a small building, small ice surface, and they built their team around that, and then you could go into uh, to Edmonton where it was free-flowing. I, I liked every... All the things about the buildings uh, that the, the teams and the GMs would say, okay, this is the kind of home building we got. Let's build our team to to that kind of uh, arena. And that I missed. I miss. I miss. Seriously, I was never a physical player, but I I miss the uh, amount of physicalness that's sort of gone out of the game, and that a really good body check sort of means you have to fight a guy. I I, I don't get that, um, but I understand the the way people are these days, but uh, I miss the fact that it is it, physical as it was back then. And when you were a hockey player in the seventies, eighties, nineties, I guess, even in the early two thousand, we took an awful lot of pride in how tough we were. And uh, so if you could take a, a kick in back then and still mm-hmm. come back and go to the front of the net to score a goal, uh, I miss that sort of reputation that hockey players had. If that we makes any sense. Yeah, I agree. I can, even though I'm not right beside you, Brian. I know you're smiling deeply and richly hearing uh, Bruce Boudreau talk like that. And that's a uh, high Gabby, skill guy, unlike me. That, Gabby was a high skill guy, and he's yeah. lamenting that we've lost some of the iron in the game. 
I hear you. <laughs> That's my dog. <laughs> um, That's okay. I got one behind me right now, hoping he doesn't wake up. He's having a nap as well. <laughs> uh, Gabby, we're heavy on time. We got to hustle. Thanks so much for stopping by, Bruce. We'll be uh, checking in regularly and uh, uh, enjoy more vintage games with your wife, sir. I will. And thanks for calling. Uh, it's great talking to you guys. Hope to see you in the future. That is Bruce Boudreau, the former head coach of the Minnesota Wild, now a free agent head coach, Mr. Pinder. Whenever the NHL gets back and up and running, uh, I would imagine that Bruce Boudreau will, if he wants to be employed, he'll be able to find himself a spot uh, in the somewhat near future. Yeah, you know what? Like, Are the Flames not going to take a look? I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's an interim coach, which means they haven't committed to Jeff Ward beyond this season. I don't even know if there is more of the season or not to be played, but I mean, it's an incredibly intriguing class of free agent coaches. I don't think Mike Babcock's in the same category with the amount of money and term that's owed to him by the Maple Leafs, but Laviolette, Boudreaux, and Gerard Gallant, I don't know how many off seasons you're going to run into a list that is that mm-hmm. rich on experience and winning, never mind, even if you want to include Babcock, then it probably becomes the best list you could find in an off season of, of coaching candidates. So yeah. I would assume the flames would at least sniff around. I don't know that necessarily you have to dislike what you have. You're probably not doing your job. If you don't at least check in with some of those guys, who will be off to the hall of fame at the end of their careers. Guy, the guy that I, I still come back to is the, the number one coach available. No disrespect to Bruce Boudreaux or to Gerard Galland, who are both outstanding head coaches. But, boy, when I think of the success Peter Laviolette has had in every stop he's gone and the immediate success he has and the sustained success that he has, Carolina, Philadelphia, Nashville, all the guy does is win hockey games at an elite level. He gets the Stanley Cup Finals. He won his cup in in Carolina. To me, the guy that is the most intriguing for any team would have to be Laviolette. I just don't know what his appetite is to get back into coaching. And I, and and to be perfectly honest, I don't know. Like he's never coached in Canada before. Would would Canada be a spot he'd be looking at? I just I don't know those answers. But uh, he's the guy that is most intriguing to me. And the guy that if I'm a team that is looking for a coach, he'd be the number one guy on my list. Yeah, well, and, and you can make compelling cases for each. Uh, and I, I think it probably just illustrates that even if you like what Jeff Ward's done, you probably owe it to, you know, the the organization to at least sniff around some of these great coaches if you're the general manager uh, but we shall see that's uh, certainly an off-season conversation and we don't really know if we're in an off-season yet or not okay we'll come back a little more pinder and steinberg we've also uh, caught up with peter labardius earlier today we'll revisit some of the good stuff there tommy wilden jr joins us at five uh, everyone very excited about season two of the canadian premier league and then yeah, they're doing what everyone else is doing. They press pause on the start of their season. They should be training right now and getting set for a season opener. Instead, uh, nothing at all. That's all ahead on Pinner and Steinberg today. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Wow, there's just certain voices that uh, feel normal and right certain times of year. Peter Labardius, the color voice of the Calgary Flames on these very airwaves, so we haven't heard from him in a couple weeks. I actually caught a clip of him laughing on Twitter, and it literally was the highlight of my day a few days ago, which uh, may speak to the quality of my life or perhaps how much I missed our next guest, Peter Labardius. He joined Pat and I earlier today, and we started with Pete's thoughts 
on the Flames. Pair of defenders signed out of the college free agent ranks, Colton Pullman and Connor McKay. Well, you know, I think excellent ads in terms of it's an area where the Flames were looking to add depth. Um, a couple of left-handed defensemen. Um, I've watched a couple of clips. And a matter of fact, I found uh, a UND game that I watched a couple periods of so I could watch Poolman a little closer. I'll do that with Mackey in the very uh, near future. But I think it adds to the depth. I really like, because anybody who's listened probably knows that, you know, I think the Flames what I like to call is basically the 25 and under core is a really, really good one. I think it's truly the strength of the Calgary flames. So to add some more depth, which will give you some versatility, even though on defense is a strong area of this club, but with free agents and hard decisions to make when things get back to normal and they start playing hockey again, either to close out the current season or, next season um I, I i like what i see in pullman he's just a hard stay at home uh full of leadership you know two years as you guys both know captain at und um i like both guys and i also like them because they're different i i see probably more offensive upside in Mackey and what he's been able to do at minnesota state and i like that you have a different type solid stay at home you know maybe a, a top four or maybe a number five guy going forward with Pullman depending on how things play itself out and I also think that you know they might be ready because of age and experience sooner than later tell us about the young man with exceptional status for the Western League and any sort of background you can give us there that's not something we've seen much at this part of the country well, I'd like to tell you, I've only seen him on video. Um, one of my plans before the year was over was to potentially engineer a way to an event that he was going to partake in, and his name is Connor Bedard, and he's put up massive numbers at West Vancouver Academy. Um, will be selected first in the upcoming Bantam draft by the Regina Pats, who yesterday ended up with the first pick. Um, I have talked to two or three scouts that I really, really respect, and a couple of them said that this young man reminds them a lot of Steven Stamkos. And I can tell you, Ryan, that I saw quite a bit of Steven Stamkos as a member of the Markham AAA Minor Midgets, a team that actually featured Cody Hodgson and Michael Delzato on the same minor midget triple a team when i was living in ontario full time um so if this young man is anything at which and he's a year younger than when i would have seen steven because i saw steven for the first time in his 15 year old season not his 14 year old season but you know in the video clips i've seen i, I do see some similarities right-handed centerman you know has put up a massive amount of points at at prep school um and you know all year he and a couple of young people out of saskatoon named jagger and height were the three players that everybody had talked about in terms of who was going to go one two three we'll see if that's how it 
plays itself out in April when the Western League holds its draft, but seen on video a little bit and heard nothing but really good things. And the other thing is, and and I tweeted about it yesterday, um, physical maturity also goes a long way in your ability to play as a 15-year-old in a 20-and-under league, but so does maturity, period. And that's something that I think, Ryan, gets lost. And, I, I, and I'm really a believer, and I'm not saying this about this young man. I'd say this about a lot of things. We are always in such a rush sometimes for everyone to get to the next level. I, I don't think we always need to be in such a great rush because I think there's some unbelievable value sometimes that gets missed in actually getting to be a teenager and spending more time within the confines of your age group. But the fact that the Western League has never done this before, and I know what kind of work Ron Robison and the league's governors and how hard those decisions are, that they have not made this one lightly. And I know that because there's been lots of others who have tried, and this guy has broken a barrier. Peter Labardius is with us, the color voice of the Calgary Flames, and uh, looks like Regina Pats will be the the team that has the ability to take young Connor Bedard number one overall, as they won the Bantam Draft Lottery yesterday. Just a just a thought on on the Western Hockey League right now. They've moved the Bantam Draft up to April twenty second. You're very familiar with kind of the the time frame. We know that the CHL season has been canceled. There won't be playoffs or a Memorial Cup, which we'll get to. In in just a second but just the the thought about moving the the bantam draft up they had the u.s prospects draft in the lottery yesterday just a, a thought on kind of the the weird situation the western league and canadian major junior hockey finds itself in right now well it's it's not unlike a lot of other leagues uh this is not what anybody had planned for this is not pat what anybody wanted um you know, those are serious serious moves that had to be made and the right moves in terms of you know, the pandemic health-wise that we're dealing with. And again, this is where leadership has never mattered more, and the league is in incredible hands and has been for a long time in Ron Robison. And I think everybody is worried and understands that, you know, this type of a stoppage and what it means to certain markets and organizations. And the fact of the matter is not only in the Western League, but throughout the Canadian Hockey League, I do think that some changes are going to occur and potentially some big changes. And because within the framework of the Western Hockey League, as we know, no market is necessarily unto the next. So, you know, that's the thing people forget about sometimes in junior hockey. I mean, you're not running the same team in Calgary with the same type of resources that you might be in Swift Current or you might Mm -hmm. be in Prince Albert or you might be in other places and being able to keep competitive balance, um, you know, keep it as competitive as you possibly can, I think is far more difficult than it is in professional sports. Um, So there are challenges and there's going to be some great challenges, but, uh, you know, I, I think the Western League is doing what every other league is, and that they're talking and they're planning and they're using this time 
to truly identify where they want to go moving forward. And, you know, whether it's this draft, uh, it's like everybody else. This is not how we envisioned our world, but what choice do we have? All we can do is learn, and if we're smart, or somewhat smart, take the time to get together and use that time to truly try to be better when things start up again in understanding that a big challenge in that is going to be things aren't going to be the same. Yeah. And just finally, we had talked about this when the CHL came out on Monday um, and officially said that all three of their member leagues will not be able to go through with their postseason in the 2020 Memorial Cup will not happen in Kelowna, BC. And Pinder and I were just talking about at the time, we're like, okay, so does Kelowna get the Memorial Cup in 2021? Well, it came out the next day on Tuesday that Kelowna will not be getting the 2021 Memorial Cup. They'll uh, go to the OHL and keep with the rotation in just over a year's time. Just a, a thought on why that's necessary and from a hockey perspective and a, and a planning perspective, why it, it maybe wasn't the most feasible to go back to Kelowna for the memorial cup next year well a big part of that pat is you're not going to have the same team and what the chl does in its league that hosts the respective annual event tries its best to do is to make sure that the host is an elite level team and Mm -hmm. so you try to build accordingly so unless the league was going to say we're going to change things as a result of this stoppage well players are going to graduate and players are going to move on professionally and you're going to have incredibly different looking teams and the fact of the matter is for people who don't know you know junior hockey you know has three and four year cycles and basically what you try your best to do is you try to build a team around two age groups and then mix and match and go from there. So, you know, the Kelowna Rockets just would not be in a very, you know, now some would argue they weren't in the most competitive spot to hold the event this year had it gone as planned. Um, But by next year, with all the moves and trades and what they've had to do, they just, you're not going to be in a good place and it's hard to get this thing right competitive wise to begin with because there's just lots of things that you can't predict and Mm -hmm. through the course of you know host teams which goes all the way back to portland oregon when this all started with a host team in the year 1983 you know a, a lot of years it's been a great challenge but on the other hand you know i remember a stretch when when i was doing the tournament where You know, I I can think of the stretch where, you know, London hosted in 2005 and won. Kelowna, you know, they won in 2004. They didn't win the league, but they had the best record in the league. They lost in a weird upset to Everett in the Western Final. Um, You know, 2006, Moncton was the host. They won the Quebec League. You know, Kitchener won the Ontario League and hosted in 2008. And there's been... You know, lots and lots of good stories and lots and lots of very, very competitive hosts. But, you know, moving it a year, 
unless you're going to move up the age of your players and everything is frozen, I don't think you have a choice but to go forward. Yeah, and I'm I'm completely with you. After at first I was like, well, yeah, easy. But then you think about it, you're like, you know, just how much how teams plan to be a host of a team and how they go through their hockey timeline and their hockey calendar on a yearly basis leading up to that. Uh, it makes perfect sense why they wouldn't be able to go back to to Kelowna. Just uh, before we let you go, Lou, we got a text, and uh, while you were uh, answering that question, I uh, went and did a little quick recording work. So somebody texts in one of my. Most rewatched sports moments is Pete's call of Kipper's stick save on Kyle Wellwood. Him shouting, Oh my goodness, gives me chills every time. So, logo, it's at the top of the fan folder. Just because the text is there and Lou's on with us, I thought, Well, ah, I was able to find it pretty quickly and record it. This is exactly what he's talking about. BXA. His shot tipped in front loose. Oh my goodness. And somehow that stayed out too. They're on their feet in Calgary. Stays right with it on the redirect. Empty net. Charlie, I was just flat out poised to say scores. I was certain it was in. That is one of the greatest saves you will ever see. Do you, uh, do you happen to remember that, Lou? Uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember it. And now I have goosebumps from the uh, top of my head to the bottom of my toes. Yeah, I uh, I remember it incredibly well. Incredibly Some, well. And I, you know, somebody else day, uh... still not sure how he kept that thing out. But when you watch Kiprasov on a night-to-night basis, and I've said this many times, I, I'm not sure his work was ever appreciated quite to the uh-huh. level that maybe it deserved to be. Luke, our, one of our texters, writes in says the uh, Patrick Steffen call is better. Which was, that was you were still in Edmonton. That's one of my favorites. It's like of all the years to, to paraphrase you at the end, you're like of all the years I've never seen anything quite like that. When Steffen misses the empty net and yeah. Hemsky goes back the other way and scores, that's one of my uh, favorite Labardius calls as well. It's uh, it's a good one. Yeah, can you believe what we just saw? Well, you know, probably the best way to end this interview, and hopefully there will be more. Can you believe what we are dealing with? No kidding. No, nope, I still, good, uh, still can't. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Anytime. Be well. Peter Labardius, the color voice of the Calgary Flames, the one and only Mr. Pinder. He joined us earlier today on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pick up or delivery available. Call 403-248-3344. That's 403-248-3344. All right. We're coming back. Uh, Steinberg's got some breaking news on his flame simulated season. Heart-wrenching oh boy, news, tough. all kinds of transactions. Uh, it's a war of attrition, Patty. We dive into it next. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right. Well, it is five minutes until the sports drive at five here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Patty will be with me until six, at which point we send you back to Halloween night an incredibly furious third period rally followed by an overtime tweener goal that will still stand as one of the goal of the year candidates whenever this uh, 1920 season is finished or declared finished. It's Pinder and Steinberg now. Brian Pinder here for my wife's 
home office, Patty in his Beltline living room in a condo, many stories above planet Earth. And uh, Pat in said condo, a very, very serious turn of events, multiple serious turn of events as you simulate uh, the flame season on NHL 20. First of all, I'm in my home office, not my living room. I did, I've, I've you moved back. Home office into, yeah, because when we got the new setup, there's no echo, so I'm able to. Okay, well, uh, I'm able to do it in the home office, and this way I can just. This is my workspace, and the rest of the. Uh, I guess there's probably like another 500 square feet that's not the office. Um, the rest of that is uh, living space. I try not to come into the office unless I'm working. Uh, it helps with the whole mental side of this thing right now. Yes, been simulating uh, the uh, games that the Flames have not played on NHL 20 following your lead. You've been doing the incredibly realistic NHL 94 simulation. Now, you've been playing the games, and the Flames have won mm-hmm. six in a row. They are absolutely killing it right now. I uh, did the first two simulations, uh, the home game against the Islanders, home game against the the Jets. The Flames won both of them, 4-2 and 4-1. Ran into a snag, though, on their three-game trip to the New York area. They fell 3-1 oh. at Madison Square Garden to the Rangers on March 16th. Uh, Andrew Majapani had the only goal in that game. Uh, Capo Caco and Ryan Strom, each with a goal and an assist there. So Flames fall at Madison Square Garden. They bounce back with a furious comeback in a back-and-forth game, a 6-5 shootout win over the New York Islanders. Sean Monaghan with the shootout winner. Two points for Backlund, Bennett, Gaudreau, Kachuk, and Monaghan. The uh, big story wow. here was a pair of injuries in this game, both Derek Ryan and and Cam Talbot, who got the start, go down. Talbot went down in the first period with a herniated disc. Looks like he's going to be out for the year. Had to recall John Gillies. Um, Derek Ryan also hurt out long-term and uh, had to recall Austin Zarnick from the farm. So that was the 17th game against the Islanders. They finished it off with a really lackluster game against the New Jersey Devils where they fell 4-3. Kyle Palmieri breaking a 3-3 tie in the third period. Three-point game from T.J. Brody, uh, but again, two more injuries. Dylan Dubé and Milan Lucic both go down, uh, so they joined Talbot and Derek Ryan on the shelf, had to do a couple more uh, recalls, had to bring back Tobias Reeder, who they had sent to the American Hockey League without my knowing, um, and also <laughs> uh, brought in... Uh, brought back up uh, Buddy Robinson too, so uh, been a lot to been a lot to deal with. But they were able to open up a four nothing lead in their first game home against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Four nothing first period lead, and they held on for a four three win. Two goal performance from Sean Monahan and Michael Backlund just keeps on rolling. Another goal for Jeez. Backlund. So I'm up to the March twenty first game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Since the Flames have had the season suspended, they are. Three, two, and one in the six games that I've been able to simulate to this point. Uh, now, tell me what the lines look like, Patty, if you don't mind. Because, like, that's a lot of movement up front with the the forwards. Or, or do you have such say so, and such power in said game? I do. I, I, I've been editing the lines to, to keep up with things. Top six remains what we're used to. Uh, Lindholm on the right, uh, Monaghan and Gaudreau uh, at center and on the left, and then Backlund between Manjapani and Kachuk. That has remained constant, um, but we've moved uh, Sam Bennett to the middle on one line. Uh, Bennett playing mm-hmm. with Zarnick, and who do I have him with? Zarnick and Reeder, and then Jankowski 
with Ronaldo and Robinson Ronaldo. is your fourth line as it stands right now. It's it's lean times right now. Um, no, that's interesting. No, no love for Alan Quine still. I feel like you, uh, you could maybe get a little more offense. Maybe you could Matthew Phillips up, put Ronaldo down. You, you in love with Ronaldo still? You're the GM now. I thought about, I, I, I like the idea of having Ronaldo on that fourth line for a little bit. I'm playing with some different things. I'm playing with it. Okay. Ronaldo has scored in a couple of games here, so really? I'm letting him stay in. But I've got, I've got some other things that I'm working on. Um, and I'm, I'm really worried about when I have to give John Gillies his first start. I don't know when I'm going to do that. Uh, looking at the schedule, I mean, do you have back-to-backs left? You're at Tampa right now. You yeah, don't, just finished the Tampa. You don't game. have a single back-to-back remaining, so maybe it's it David Riddick the right into the playoffs. I might, I might give yeah. Gillies the start against the Ducks. Interesting, huh? All right. I believe he's played against San Jose and LA, if I'm correct. I know LA was, I believe, his first ever start. And um, he won that game in LA. Yep. Yeah, that's true. But they don't have an LA left on the calendar. And you got San Jose coming up uh, next in your simulation fall by and I'm one of the next two for Gillies. Why not? Why not? Okay, sure. Boy, that's uh, that's some twists there that I'm sure Flames fans would be happy to do without, though. Uh, Derek Ryan, an important piece. Clearly, Cam Talbot's been the better of the two guys in the second half. Uh, and uh, if I recall, you were telling me that Dylan Dubé was starting to get his fingerprints all over the score sheet before his injury occurred. Yeah, he was really heating up, and now he's hurt for a little while here. Injuries are really starting to mount, so GM Steinberg's having to do some creative things. Coach Steinberg is trying to motivate the guys in different ways, so we'll see what they can do in their next game. Okay. When you're talking to Tommy, I'll uh, I'll go finish up the simulations. Tommy Wilden Jr. would love to be uh, running a training right now, getting set for their season opener. Instead, uh, just like all the other sports leagues that are on the sidelines, we'll catch up with the general manager and head coach of Cavalry FC when the Sports Drive at 5 kicks off next. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Ryan Pinder and Sports Drive at 5 is only on Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, welcome to the Sports Drive at 5. We are seven minutes late. Our apologies to our next guest, Tommy Wielden Jr., but first, some clarification. If you joined us late in the 4 o'clock hour, Pat has been simulating the Flames season on NHL 2020. I've been simulating it on a much more accurate depiction of uh, today's roster on NHL 94 on Sega Genesis, and Pat was uh, ripping through injuries. Talbot, Ryan, Dubé, Lucic, uh, these are in his video game simulation so uh, all the panicked texting about flames injuries on the text line at 960960 can calm down pat okay i just got in my truck what the hell am i listening to how the hell did dube get hurt what's going on he got hurt in in simulated nhl 2020 he's i, I think he's just fine in self-isolation right now but in nhl 2020 talbot's hurt ryan's hurt dube's hurt lucic is hurt they've got some injury issues to get to, to get through right now uh, Tommy Wilden Jr. joins us, the head coach and general manager of Cavalry FC. Any virtual injuries that you're dealing with? Are you simulating a season for the CPL right now? No, but I think I'm getting carpal tunnel syndrome sat in front of a laptop <laughs> trying to uh, perform some work as much as I can. How are you? What's the day-to-day been, Tommy? This has uh, affected everyone, it seems. We, we, we knew it was only a matter of time before the CPL did what all other leagues did. You had mm-hmm. time to see how things went, and... The league clearly uh, 
a long time ago, put a, a hold on training and has now mm -hmm. uh, extended that hold on training. So what's your day to day and how are you holding up? I know this is a time of year you've been looking forward to for a long, long time. Yeah, as um, I've literally just finished uh, uh, our first batch of um, Zoom video player meetings, which seems to be part of our new normal. Uh, it was a, it's a long off season anyway, right? So when we're going through November, December, boys are ready to get back and train in January, February, and then our preseason started March 1. So we literally banked two weeks of really good training. Uh, there was a great speed and intensity about it, um, great camaraderie. And all we've tried to do is, I mean, when, when stuff like this goes on, it does put everything into reality. Um, as much as we miss each other, what we do for a living, we're also thankful that we get to do it for a living because, you know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, like most people, that you're just amazed with these frontline workers that are putting their own health and well-being at risk to stop and flatten the curve. And I think what we've done as, as a group is just recognize that we play sport for a living. Uh, we, we give people... Uh, joy and play on emotions when we play, when we perform. Um, at the end of the day, we play a sport. You know, these people are lifesavers out there. So we, we took our place of, uh, of reality. Uh, we've tried to be realistic. We've done our measures that every single day the boys are on a workout program and connect via a WhatsApp chat. Um, we have weekly videos that go out to give them workouts. And, you know, we stay on task. So, uh, it, it, we, we've got an ethos at our club, as you know, and we've taken it as part of the military story to our, our name, and it's uh, adapt and overcome. And this really is uh, a test for us, but it also validates how good we are under these circumstances. Yeah, fair enough. You've got to find something to keep everyone focused. You don't know how long it's going to be. This is uh, very, very uncharted territory, I'm sure, as a coach to mm -hmm. have all these uncertainties that you have to deal with and unknowns and outside forces you can't control. Um, are all your players here? Have you had any issues with players coming from places where you want them to be quarantined or was everyone here early enough that that wasn't a concern? Well, literally we were waiting on our last three um, imports coming in. So Jose Escalante returning from Honduras um, was on hold. The, the country went into shutdown and borders closed before we did. Um, Richard Luca from Brazil, uh, same one. It was tough to get his visa prior to the borders being closed. And Jair Cordova, our approving striker, literally got it in the day we were on shutdown before the borders closed. So we had to go into the wow. mandatory 14-day isolation. So the poor lad was, you know, picked up at the uh, airport, put into a basement suite, and he's been there by himself. And, you know, we've been using creative ways to keep him engaged and welcome him to Calgary and to Canada. But it's uh, imagine for a player like that, that doesn't speak a ton of English, that that's his first input. And, you know, this is definitely going to create some uh, memories. And hopefully when we do come out the backside of it, we'll, uh, we'll make us stronger for it. Man, you can't imagine that. Like probably his first time in this part of the world. And mm. now, um, you know, obviously different language, all kinds of things going on and now stuck, uh, not doing the one language you can speak well, which is to, to play footy and, uh, you know, interact and create relationships with, with other people through that. That's, that's been taken away. That's tough. Yeah, it is. And that's why I think anytime there's a, there's a crisis. I mean, I think back now I've lived in Calgary for going on 18 years. So I think back to the floods when we're 2012, 2013, and, and you look at how everybody rallied together to, to make things happen. I think that's what makes Calgary great. I think it's what makes Canada great is uh, we, we, we do have a way of coming together. And 
irrespective of what way your political beliefs lie. When, when, I, when I see the way as a country we present ourselves and try to come together through the government and united, and uh, there's a great uh, connectiveness from coast to coast. And um, I look at some of the other countries that maybe don't have that. And you know, and I left England, and we've seen with what's gone on with with Brexit, and I'm I'm seeing a, a very divided country right now. But I think we've really taken to this as best as we can to to find a way around it. And that also lends true to what we're doing as, you know, not only a team, but as Spruce Meadows as an organization and, and trying to trying to connect as, as best we can and, and making sure that players like High Air coming down and, and young players that are, you know, in, in player housing or uh, whether they're with their wife and young child, that they, they still have connected things. So, like I said, every day they, they send in videos of their workout. They send in, um, you know, there's a bit of camaraderie and a bit of banter to it and, uh, we've given them a bunch of tactical analysis that they had to go away and we're almost teaching them to fish because we want them to be sharper when they come back in other ways. So it's teaching us to be creative and use innovation. And um, I think that's what um, crisis brings out as well. One of the things you never talk about when things are going well is is rock solid ownership. And it's only when things aren't going well that conversations turn to ownership. But I imagine you're thankful you've got the people financing you that you do have given that here's year two and there's already been a huge amount of, you know, costs that early on you have mm-hmm. to put in place for infrastructure to build a mm-hmm. staff, to get this thing off the ground. And then you have a phenomenal year one and here you are ready to reap the benefits of having an immensely competitive, successful year one. And now, you know, mm-hmm. people are still getting paid, but there, there's no tickets being, uh, being mm-hmm. torn in half on the way into the stadium. What can you say about the folks at Spruce Meadows? Yeah, I mean, we've already ref- invested millions into uh, helping get this league off the ground. Uh, it was really in a in a fantastic state after a really positive first year. I think the league as a whole, with the inclusion of Atletico Ottawa coming in, um, but this really is going to going to test our foundations. Um, you know, uh, as as you know, we've made announcement at Spruce Meadows the cancelling of the summer series, and that was just. Incredible leadership from our owner, um, Linda Southern Hethcott, that said, listen, let's get out in front of it. Let's put that as a side and get through the worst of this and we'll see where we are. Um, we're fully in behind in making sure we do all things necessary to uh, keep our club, keep Spruce Meadows, keep this league up and running. Uh, we're confident in that will happen. And one thing that we do know is that Sports want bring people together. There's a really great Netflix show going on right now, uh, the English game, which is you know the bare roots of, you know how the game started back in England with the you know upper class of Etonians to the working class of the mill workers. And one thing that was prevalent between wherever you come in society is that sports are the great unifier of everybody. Um, and we're confident that all of the sports in this city will bring everyone back together because we'll have missed each other that much. And the passion that we'll have for the game, for each other, for connectiveness, um, I think will be brought through and we will be stronger for it. The English game? Is that what you said? I'm writing these down. I got like a million things yeah. to watch now. This is this is good. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've got time. Um, yeah, well, that's exactly it, right? When, when else am I going to be able to sit back and have no yeah. sports on TV that I feel like we need to watch for the show? Um, something else I wanted to catch up with you on, what's sure. new at Spruce Meadows and what would change if you do get a season underway without the the, the high-profile horse jumping or equestrian events, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call them, does that allow you to uh, change some stuff with the venue or at least have uh, less of um, 
I guess what the fallout would be from horses running around mm-hmm. the pitch. Yeah, well, there was already a decision made to um, reduce the amount of horse riding on there. But let's let's be honest. We always knew going into this, it was always going to be a shared usage because any you know stadium in the world now does tend to try and, for business reasons, have it as a multi-use facility. Uh, our primary sport was always going into it was equestrian. Um, we have to honour and respect that. That's what's allowed us this chance to bring football uh, into into Calgary once again. But what it's done was um, decisions were made by our, our leadership group to say, right, how can we move some of the equestrian off it? Um, it's split in half. It's gone from like about 600 rounds to about 300. That will go down even less now with the cancellation of the summer series because work was already being done now to fit in um, floodlights to make sure that they were permanent and, and not the stands that we had from last year. That was an upgrade. We were looking at some of the minor undulations from how the ground had been frosted or removal of the fountains from year one. Um, we looked this time last year, we were basically building a fantasy football team. So it was a brand new league that nobody knew anything about it. Um, we literally built a stadium within six months. So we've been under the gun for a lot of things. And now it's just about playing catch up on things. So we were invested a lot in it. We took a trip as an ownership group over to, to England and you know looked at everywhere different from you know Tottenham's fantastic billion-pound stadium to um, places that were more similar to us, like uh, Ross County in Scotland that are a 6,000-seat stadium and have snow and rain and ice um, and, and, a, and a smaller budget and how they maintained it, um, to Barnet, who were a Division 5, but have this fantastic 6,000-seater stadium that they use for international games. Uh, so what we did is we're curious learners. So we went and took best practices and then said, well, what does that mean to us? So we were putting in and are going to put in a lot of work to uh, to the stadium experience because at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's part of the entertainment industry. And the, the better the product on the pitch, the better the experience is for the fans. And we definitely want to build on from a positive year one uh, to having another positive year two and beyond. Yeah, and you know what? It's already an area where I think you guys have set the leg up on all the other organizations in this league and already have such a a strong culture in just one year. So that's that's cool that we can expect even more on that front. That's amazing. Final thought from you, Tommy. Just a look at the, I guess, football universe and specifically, you know, the season Liverpool was having, European uh, tournament was supposed to be this summer. Like, you look out at the soccer world. Uh, you guys are going to delay the start of a season. If things go well, you'll still get a season in. But for some other uh, tournaments and leagues, this is a very, mm. very different spot because they're wrapping up. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's tough when you've got players' contracts coming into it. So, you know, I know several players over in Europe that their contracts literally run out June 1st. Um, so what does that mean when you extend it? Yeah. Because... Uh, now there's got to be. For me, you have to finish the season you're in. So the work that Liverpool has uh, has done, and, and the rest of the teams from all over Europe, um, you've got to finish the season off in some way because it affects promotion, relegation, it affects all the things you've worked on prior. So I think you've got to finish one season before starting the next one. I I, I believe that. Um, the ray of sunshine that we've got right now is we've just heard that the Chinese uh, Super League, uh, the Professional Football League out there has just started getting together and training and that's the epicenter of this virus. So if they're feeling that they're at a place where they flattened the curve, they've taken all the things necessary to do and are starting getting out in small groups, that gives us all a a fresh hope that 
you know, we, we've just got to do what we can to, to keep flattening the curve and then we'll get back into action and put this all behind us. Crazy. Uh, yeah, uncharted times. Do you have a go-to Netflix or is there a book you'd recommend for people or are you just savoring a little extra family time? Uh, all of the above, really. I think what I try to do is there's, there's an element of uh, normality to the day. So it's literally my recommendation is start each day as if you were going into work. So for me, it's it's a workout, it's uh, it's a coffee, and and then it's shower, get ready, and then attack the day. And I literally do that, and I, I get changed into my business casual and sit in front of my home desk to get going. And then, you know, it's dinner uh, with the family. We have, you know, shared conversations, which is great to have. And then we literally spend it like most other families where if it's my youngest who's 10 he's downstairs juggling a ball or it's uh finishing the day with a with a cocktail and a netflix show with my wife it's it's trying to keep some element of uh regular things to it um we've started watching the english game because that was recommended but sometimes you also want something light-hearted as well and um i'd, I'd strongly recommend for the uh the listeners out there that like a bit of a laugh, watch uh, Sex Education that's on uh, Netflix. It's a coming-of-age show, but it's just great people uh, industry, and it's about uh, a good bit of humor as well. And I think we've got to remember to, to laugh and smile as much as we can through this because it just it sends those positive endorphins we all need. When you're done uh, managing championship football squads, uh, we, we would like to hire you, uh, everyone listening as life coach, because I feel like it's uh, just that final 30 to 90 seconds. You, you've now helped my <laughs> days in the pandemic, Tommy. Thank you. <laughs> well, we've all got to play our part. Well, uh, everyone stay, stay healthy, stay safe, and I promise you we'll be back soon. I love it. Great stuff. There's Tommy Wilden Jr., the head coach and general manager of Cavalry FC, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Uh, the bar is closed in these trying times. A reminder, they're still open for business, takeout uh, or delivery. 403-240-40, excuse me, 403-248-3344. I'll try that again. 403-248-3344, Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, presenting all our guests on the hotline. We'll take a break. We come back with a little more Pinder and Steinberg. Reminder, Chris Johnson, our NHL insider, still ahead. Uh, what about the... Carolina Hurricanes and another positive test for COVID-19 in the NHL. Those topics and more between now and six o'clock on the Sports Drive at 5, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. All right, Sports Drive at 5 rolls on. We're to be joined by Chris Johnson, our NHL insider. Carolina Hurricanes in the news. Uh, they eh, don't want to pay their staff. Interesting. And uh, other things with Chris Johnson, including uh, which Netflix series he has dove into at great length. So, and of course, you've decided to go all, all the different the things. All the different things that are going on, and you decided to the two things to lead with are the Carolina Hurricanes not paying their staff and Netflix. I'm looking at my notes for the questions I'd asked CJ, and those are the things <laughs> written down. And I remembered we had breaking news, which was the Colorado Avalanche have a player that's yeah. tested positive for the coronavirus. What am I missing? Well, we had that. Well, you gave some good stuff. Yesterday's about, news um, about the draft. Yeah, and when the NHL draft might be held and what a condensed season next year might look like. And he's uh, basically, he's under the impression that if they end up 
being able to resume at some point this year. The next season might not start until November, and they still want to get 82 games in. So how would they go about doing that? I found that pretty interesting, too. Yeah, it's a huge pile of Fs. I mean, we still don't even have an idea when this thing peaks, but um, the, I guess, contingency plans are becoming a little wild when you uh, consider when a draft could theoretically take place, when free agency could theoretically take place and when other leagues, if things are good, want to get started up again while the NHL would still be closing out theirs. We really go down the rabbit hole on a lot of stuff there to be sure in terms of hypotheticals. Uh, so stay with us for that. We'll get to that at about 22. Pat, I need an update. You're simulating like crazy. Uh, you've finished the season or you're up to, to current date on the flame season. Up to where we are it. right now. And that, then I'll do it like concurrently while you're doing it on NHL 94. So when will you play Flames Canucks, which is supposed to be tomorrow? Will you do that tomorrow before the show or will it be before Monday's show? I feel like uh, I could be flexible and do it for tomorrow's show, but typically I've been doing it the evening of or the morning after. So that will okay, be Okay, so let's Monday keep it going with topic. that schedule. Okay. Yeah, so let's, let's do that. Um, so I have so the last, last we two spoke, games. Yep. You had uh, four, four and two. Go ahead. They they so they'd won four of the six games that they have played since the suspension. They uh, had lost plenty of players. Dylan Dubé hurt, Cam Talbot hurt, Derek Ryan hurt, Milan Lucic hurt. Lucic is back. It was only a minor injury. The other three still out. Um, they're coming off a big four three win over Tampa on March twenty first. So the games this week, Monday against San Jose and last night against Anaheim, uh, gave Riddick the start against San Jose, but he gets pulled in a six three loss he allowed five goals on eight shots uh so riddick pulled and john gillies forced into action uh he made 14 of the final 16 that he faced um but they end up losing by a a 6-3 score um Two goals, four points for Tomas Hurdle. Eric Carlson, three assists. Tobias Reeder had two goals for the Flames. Uh, and then they followed that up last night, though, in John Gillies' first start of the season with a 3-1 win over the Anaheim Ducks. 29 saves on 30 shots for Gillies. Johnny Gaudreau led the way with a goal and an assist, and somehow that goal that he scored was shorthanded. I don't know how Johnny Gaudreau got on the penalty kill last night against the Ducks, but he scores the uh, scores the game winner on the penalty kill last night and the flames win 3-1 over the ducks john gillies picks up his first win of the season whoever is uh, coaching this, this uh, virtual team just <laughs> in- incredible yeah. button pushing and lever yanking like that's uh wow didn't see that one coming johnny gaudreau on the penalty kill i th- I'm not quite sure how that happened. It happened like while the game was simulating. I went and looked looked to check. Gaudreau is not on any of the penalty kill units on my edit line, so I'm not sure how he got on the PK, but he scored a shorthanded goal, and uh, the Flames beat the Ducks. So next up is tomorrow's game against the Vancouver Canucks, and we'll see uh, We'll see how it all who was, plays Do you remember out who was in Monday. the penalty box, Pat? Uh, I don't. I didn't go look. I would imagine what would happen is – one of your penalty killers got uh, a penalty, so they just randomly threw in a, another guy. And if I were to choose one guy to step in on my penalty Obviously. kill, it would be Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, of course. Offensive. Uh, right? Now, we know what the Vancouver roster is comprised of in 2020. Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser might be back to close to health. We'll see. I, I wonder where Jacob Markstrom's at, Patty. 
But in uh, the NHL 94 team, the very dangerous Pavel Bure, Cliff Ronning, Jeff Cortnall line up front, Yerke Lume and Doug Lidster on the back end, Kirk McLean and Nett. That's what we'll be uh, looking Ooh. out for tomorrow night for the Flames. Uh, Roberts, Reichel, Flurry, Suter, McInnes, and Mike Vernon. They'll uh, they'll have their hands full with the Canucks in 1994. That was that'll be a big game because you take a look at what they might have to uh, go. I mean, that was the heyday of the Vancouver Canucks. Like they made a Stanley Cup yep. final in and around that time. Kirk McLean was at his very best. Trevor Lind, yeah, that's going to be a tough test. Big game tomorrow for the Flames in NHL '94 land. Yeah, no question. Okay, so here's what we'll do. We'll take a break. We come back. We will dive into the contingency plans for the NHL and what can become a very messy hockey calendar very quickly if the NHL decides to wrap up the 2019-20 season in the fall. Also, uh, we get a little little strategy from Chris Johnston, who's been in quarantine. (laughs) What what are you you on Netflix? He found one series – that a lot of NHL players are digging right now, sitting at home, twiddling their thumbs. That's all ahead as the Sports Drive at 5 continues. Chris Johnson, our NHL insider, Sports at 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Well, we don't know what the NHL season is going to look like or if there will be a remainder of the NHL season, but it sounds like if that were to be the case and the league were to find a way to come back and play, they wouldn't get going until much later in the summer, and the season might not end until late August or even into September. So what does that mean for everything else? What does that mean for a postponed NHL draft? What does that mean for the 2020-21 NHL season? And when that might start, all of those things are way up in the air, and we tackled all of them with our NHL insider, Chris Johnston. Welcome back to the program. Uh, Pat Steinberg, Ryan Pinder along with you as our NHL insider, Chris Johnston, joined us earlier today. Today and started with some breaking news from the NHL. Chris Johnston brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. Well, CJ, happy Thursday. Why don't we start with the breaking news of the day? The uh, COVID-19 virus no longer just a member of the Ottawa Senators roster. It's not, no, uh, you know, member of the Colorado Avalanche, the team says, uh, it's also tested positive. That's a third known uh, positive test among NHL players. And, you know, one thing that, that Colorado shares with Ottawa is that they played games uh, in California here just before uh, the NHL went on pause. And, and so, you know, I, I don't know that I can say with any, any definitive authority that that's, you know, where the virus was spread. But, you know, certainly we, we've seen a trend there in California, uh, back, uh, you know, early to middle of March was one of the first hotspots in the U.S. Uh, for the, the COVID-19 outbreak. And, um, you know, obviously these teams are, are sharing dressing rooms and also uh, being in the community when they were when they were down there. CJ, that's that's obviously news. I don't know how surprising that news is that, you know, as, as we go on, I think we're going to find out that more and more people in pro sports, just like the, the general population, uh, are going to end up testing positive for this. We know there's been a coach in the NFL. We know the NBA's had a number of players, uh, the NHL as well. That I, I don't know how surprising that is, and I, I would imagine that, 
you weren't overly surprised with the news from yesterday that the NHL has decided to postpone a trio of June events, the scouting combine, the awards, and the NHL draft. I guess there really was no choice, hey? No, unfortunately, we're in this, this I guess, period where the dominoes are falling. And, you know, it, it's not to say, obviously, that they're going to have some of those events. I don't know if we'll see a scouting combine, but certainly, you know, we will have an entry draft in some uh, way, shape, or form. You know, I would imagine the awards show – it didn't sound like or doesn't sound like it It will be on. Uh, I'm sure uh, there will be an opportunity to give out awards maybe without the, the traditional show. But, you know, that's just kind of a reflection where we're at. And, and, you know, we're not probably able to have a draft until it's known either if the season's canceled or until we see the conclusion of the playoffs because that's uh, traditionally how the, uh, the, the, the order has been set in terms of, you know, the team that wins the Stanley Cup going last and all those types of things. And so uh, with the, the league looking at potentially playing until the end of August, uh, there was no way to, to have that, that trio of events in June. So, is there any way, like, would, would they automatically go if they were able to find a way to get games in August, from your understanding or uh, your guesswork, if, whatever the case may be? Uh, would it be, like, would they have to hold the draft after a season comes to an end? Like, we'd be talking about a September NHL draft? I, I would think so, yeah. I mean, if if the season goes till August and, and the cup uh, is awarded at some point in that month, you're looking at September at minimum and maybe some of October is the quote unquote off season when you'd have free agency, uh, you know, when you, you'd have the, the entry draft and arbitration and all those types of things that go on uh, typically in the summertime. And then you know, you're probably looking at a, a training camp and exhibition schedule in October and the start of the season in November. I think that that's kind of the, the, the very rough outline of something that, that could work in terms of getting an 82-game season in next year. You know, I would presume if you're starting in November, you're, we're looking at no All-Star game and All-Star break and getting rid of the five-day bye, uh, bye week that each team has and compressing the schedule a little bit to, to get those games in. But you know, I think that that's the potential path they can go here depending on you know where things go with the coronavirus. And you know, there's a chance it'll all be moot and you know the season will be wiped away. But mm-hmm. you know, I do think that there's still a bit of hope uh, because that's still a fair ways from now. I mean, we're in kind of this weird uh, section of time, I think, with most people at home and kind of out of their normal routines. You know, you almost lose track of time. But, you know, that's still several months away from, from where we're standing today. And, you know, hopefully the, the actions we're all taking will flatten the curve and at least offer a potential window to, to get sports up and running in the summertime. And, you know, I do think the NHL would uh, pursue a July-August uh, type of playoffs. Well, and someone that you talked about right there that i'll pick up on and it's it's funny because when i first heard the talk about wow they could start the season in november i'm like geez well then how late are they going to go into the summer with with next season but then you think about it you know if you take out the break the all-star break the five-day break and you play through there and you condense the schedule a little bit they've done it before they've done it in olympic years they they did it during the lockout season like it's it's not impossible to get 82 games in starting in november and not going too far past what we're regular you regularly used to when it comes to the start of the postseason it, it is like it is feasible it just means that it's going to be a much more condensed schedule right for sure. And you're looking probably at a regular season that ends a week to two weeks later than normal. So, you know, mid to a little bit beyond that in April, uh, you know, under that scenario, but it's certainly workable. I mean, the, the, the lockout shortened 12, 13 season, I, I believe the first round of the playoffs went into May. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's, there's a path here to, to make all that work. I think if anything, there's probably a little bit of concern and, 
you know, I was on those conference calls today with some of the NHL players the league put on, and Nick Foligno brought up this point from the, the Columbus Blue Jackets that, you know, under that scenario, you're asking some some top players to play a lot of games. And, and you know, I think he, he wasn't saying it as an objection as much as, you know, let's let's step back and look at this. Let's consider whether this is, is smart because, you know, let's, let's sketch out a, a path here. Let's say, you know, the Washington Capitals go to the cup final this summer in a July-August playoff scenario. You, you've got those games for them. Then you launch into that condensed season, and they might have a playoff run next year. I mean, inside what would be a 12-month window, you could be asking, you know, potentially some players to play 120 games or, or something in that neighborhood if, you know, if their mm. teams have success and they stay healthy. Um, you know, obviously this is highly, uh, you know, speculative at this point, but it's just something to consider uh, as they go into that. I, I do think, though, um, you know, because of some of the business interests, because of how unusual this is. And I think that the, the league and, and for the most part, the players union see eye to eye on, on the importance of trying to play again, if they can, even if uh, just to, to help the, the, the world or North, you know, the world North America return partially to normalcy. I mean, we've seen that in the past that, that sporting events can, you know, have a special spot in the community when, when things happen. Uh, I think of the world series game in New York, uh, you know, after nine yep. 11 uh, and all that stuff. I mean, I, I think that, that, um, you know, that there's some value maybe in getting up and going, again for that league so you know even though they're it's not perfect and it's not ideal you know i do think that if if the the virus you know ends up uh, flattening out and, and not not spreading the way it is right now as we're talking that they're you know very serious about trying to get to play again cj the the, the new timeline there that you just laid out and it, it we understand it's totally hypothetical and based on a lot of assumptions but Man, does that open a can of worms when you start talking about an entry draft in the fall or free agency in the fall because you've got players at all different levels that will be weighing NHL options or at least NHL tryouts against other leagues that might be starting in their regular spot in in the schedule from leagues that are canceled, that are not paused. I mean, that's a major, major can of worms they're opening if, if you're moving an entry draft back to that point and free agency back to the fall as well. I mean a player that doesn't get picked up in NHL free agency that probably turned down offers to Europe all summer. I mean, there's, there's a lot there to digest. Yeah, it would be maybe controlled chaos, maybe uncontrolled chaos. You know, I I don't think that there's any precedent that I can think of for that. I mean, Mm -hmm. there there is precedence for, for squishing the schedule together and compressing it and finding ways to, to play a lot of games in a short amount of time. I, I don't know that we've ever had, you know, just because all the other leagues are off too. You know, when it, once it gets to September, you can be sure the Canadian Hockey League leagues, uh, the American Hockey League, you know, th- those those circuits are going to be anxious to get up and running again. And potentially that's basically somewhere near the start or towards the middle of, of you know, this the NHL offseason under this plan. You know, it, it wouldn't be perfect. Uh, I think that there would be some special sort of one-time deals that would have to be worked out between the leagues and how things work. And, you know, say, uh, you know, top draft picks, uh, going to an NHL training camp and maybe not getting returned to their team until mid October if they if they do get returned, you know I, I do think it would be kind of one of these scenarios where a lot has to be worked out and, and I do think you know no matter what happens here there's there's going to be a lot of those those scenarios I think you know one other concern potentially with this is you know if the league starts back up in July and, and goes straight into a playoffs that it doesn't finish off any bit to the regular season I mean that that's going to be a long layoff for the teams that are out of the playoffs that played their last mm-hmm. game somewhere around March 10th or 11th and then wouldn't potentially have another meaningful game anyways till November. I mean, that that probably is an ideal for, for some markets from a business standpoint. Uh, might be difficult on players, uh, you know, playing for the Ottawa Senators and New Jersey Devils or San Jose Sharks. You know, some of these teams that we know for certain weren't going to 
uh, play playoff games in the 2019-20 season. And so, um, you know, this season is going to – I do think that no matter what happens, it's going to be full of firsts for all of us. There's going to be things that we've never seen before and probably will never see again, let's hope. And, um, you know, I think that you know, this is probably the time you can do it, though, because I think everyone understands this is far, far beyond anything that, that's under the control and, and the people running the league and the Players Association are just trying to make the best of, of the situation that's been handed them. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to pick up on there is, I mean, because Rye lays out how completely opposite of ideal this could be for everyone involved. I mean, when it comes to free agency and the draft and just going through your normal processes, but from who you've talked to, do you do you get the sense that, you know, fairly universally everybody's on board to tackle an unprecedented situation and maybe sacrifice the way that things are usually done and, and make the drastic changes just to make sure they can get back on track and, and to get some hockey being played? Well, by and large, I do sense that. And, and let's face it, it's not entirely holistic either. I mean, a, a lot of that's driven by the fact that this is a business. And, you know, I think that the, both the league and the players share a desire to, to try to get that business up and running again in some way, shape, or form to, to make back some of the revenues that are being lost by, by having things on pause right now uh, to augment what's going to happen with escrow and all those things, which I realize in the, the wider you know, shape of the world right now, it doesn't really matter. There's, there's more important things going on. This virus is, you know, flooding out hotel, uh, hospitals rather in New York and stuff like that. But, you know, there is there is a business concern. Uh, I think that that's that's driving some of this, too. And, and so, you know, it's it, it goes both ways. But I do really sense that, that there's a spirit of cooperation in terms of trying to find solutions. You know, nothing's been ironed out probably to the degree. I'm, I'm making the sound probably a lot more certain than it actually is. But I do think it's a working model. It's, it's a potential pathway here to, to award uh, the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, after, you know, getting through uh, the worst of, of the COVID-19 crisis in North America. And so, um, you know, right now it's providing, I guess, some hope, you know, especially for the athletes that are home, uh, you know, trying to, to train, doing push-ups and all the old school training methods, not having access to their typical gym equipment for the most part and all those things. I mean, I think it's something mm-hmm. that's, that's keeping everyone in the right frame of mind um, right now and not, you know, just thinking well, everything's lost until September. So, the, the conference call today with players, I saw you tweeting out at reporter Chris on Twitter some of the fun quotes uh, from the players that were on the call. Yeah, the yesterday. didn't like those. They were on me for some of those. I thought everyone understood it was lighthearted. But... People were you, – you were getting flack for that? Oh, man, yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Everyone's at home bored. It's easy to pick on a journalist. I mean, it's, uh, it's a popular activity on Twitter. So That's I was angering the masses inadvertently today. That's rather dumb uh no need to uh no need to be angry at cj for just posting quotes um what yesterday conference call with bill daly and the chief medical officer of the nhl what were your takeaways from that just maybe how stark this is for them you know obviously uh the league's chief medical officer is very uh, i won't say bogged down but very uh up to date on everything that's going on uh in this case a gentleman was speaking about Staying in, in touch with you know the, the the medical professionals with a similar title across the other sports leagues, and you know he spoke in very plain terms about uh, how this this is going to get much worse in his view than than it is right now. Uh, that you know because of that fact and because no one can predict with with any degree of reliability essentially how high the curve is going to spike here or peak. You know how bad this is going to get. It, it's hard to, to to truly if you're in a medical position. I think offer a timeline for how these things are going to unfold. I mean, it's one thing to talk to way we've just been talking about 
you know, what could happen if things go well. Well, you know, I think the, you know, the, the league's medical people aren't, aren't assuming things are going to go well. They're trying to, to stay as up to date with all the regulations being put in place and, and those things. And, you know, it, it would be easy to, it was easy for me to come away from that conversation and feel a little bit more skeptical about the likelihood of things uh, picking up again, just because of, you know, how, you know, how starkly he laid out the scenario, but he also did mention, you know, 10 days from now, things will look different one way or another. You know, he can't say if it's going to be better or worse, but, you know, this this thing is moving so quickly when you're following it to the degree he is. And so, um, you know, I, I commend the league for, for making him available to a few reporters um, to, to lay out some of these, these things and explain the challenges uh, from a hockey standpoint. I mean, he was very clear, too, that in a dressing room, there's, there's only so much you can control. I mean, it, you know, the, the coronavirus specifically lives on surfaces. And, you know, obviously you, you've got a lot of people sharing confined space, um, mm-hmm. you know, if anyone were to, to sneeze or cough and, and not have that area cleaned up right away. I mean, it could potentially spread easily that way. And so, you know, the, the, the challenges are, are significant. And I think that's probably what I, what I came away with is just uh, realizing that the league is, you know, that, that they're very, that they're, they're obviously monitoring this as close as you can. And, and, you know, I didn't come away feeling very certain that there would be the uh, meaningful games to be played, uh, you know, before next season. Chris Johnston's our NHL insider, joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg. CJ, it's been a pretty unusual ride for Tom Dundon as owner of the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, billionaire, Texas, a lot of money, had to reassure the fans that, yes, Carolina was the the long-term plan. But from there, it seemingly been win after win, the way they've been able to uh, market the storm surge, you know, get all the way to the final four last year is kind of a Cinderella type team. They've made some pretty strategic and, and sound hockey moves. Uh, and now all of a sudden, maybe the first bad bit of PR since he assured fans he was going to stay in Carolina with uh, laying off full-time staff. What was your takeaway from where the Canes are at and the decision by a billionaire to not pay his staff based on income coming in and that one of many businesses he owns. Right. And, and, you know, he followed up today and said that there was some miscommunication there and they are going to pay staff. And, you know, I don't know if that's an about face, uh, you know, change of plans or if maybe there was some miscommunication, but, you know, the first thing that stands out to me about Tom Dunnan is he's not afraid to do things his own way. And, and for a lot of the things you mentioned there, I, I think it's, it serves his organization well, especially in a less traditional hockey market, I think, you know, the way that they've marketed the team, the, the storm surge, the whole bit, I think it's, it's been positive. Um, but he's also uh, an owner of a team who let his GM interview for another GM's job this summer. If you remember Don Waddell uh, was, was in Minnesota this summer interviewing for the job that Bill Guerin ended up getting uh, because his contract had expired with the hurricanes, he, you know, obviously wound up not taking the job in Minnesota. He, he did get a new deal in Carolina, but this is a guy that, that sort of beats to his own drummer. Uh, and, you know, I think in this case, you know, clearly with uh, it's hard for me, I can't know for sure whether the plan changed because of the backlash or whether there really was a misunderstanding in the, the Raleigh News and Absor- Observer article that, that I first read about this last night. Um, but but certainly, uh, you know, I, I do think that, that he is he's, he's unique and, you know, he's one of the owners that's been calling on an expanded playoff format. Um, you know, I, I do think that a lot of what he says has value and you know no matter how they got to the outcome you know both them and new jersey i do credit both teams for at least after initially looking like they weren't going to pay people uh changing course and actually paying their staff because i think that's really important right now you know there's been some gms like jim nill in dallas who've 
voluntarily taken a pay cut to try to help uh, some of the, the, the more day-to-day staff inside the organization. I mean, I don't mind that so much, um, but, you know, the idea that you're laying off, you know, working class people that work in your organization, that, that the lifeblood of keeping things going just the, the, the first time something bad hits and, and you have to kind of deep pocket someone like Tom Dundon does, I mean, doesn't, doesn't sit well with me hearing that and evidently probably didn't sit well with the, the people that reacted to that story last night. Yeah, no question. Final one for you, the quarantined edition. Uh, you've talked a bunch on Twitter about the Series F1. Uh, that seems to be a hit amongst NHL players. And uh, have you uh, dove into Tiger King yet? I have not, but it's on the list. Uh, do you, can you advise me on that? Am I, am I no, following I, the math? Neither of us can. Next week, uh, homework boys. Well, I watched McMillions, and I, I quite like that six series show about uh, defrauding the McDonald's monopoly game back in the nineties. Uh, that was pretty good. I've enjoyed that F1 series. Uh, my wife and I have watched Shit's Creek a bit and uh, we've caught up on that. Uh, so I'm looking for something new. Maybe Tiger King will be my next series. And is there See, one the F- I, that's... you've revisited that is uh, brought back some good or bad memories? Is there a, a top old sports moment you've revisited? There's not, but I do know on March 31st, uh, you know, as, as the network's replaying the Raptors run, that that's the the game seven against Philadelphia where the erosion <laughs> shot went down at the buzzer. So I, I do have March 31st circled to watch that game back because uh, I was on Mother's Day last year. I was actually in Boston covering a playoff game, an NHL playoff game, and only caught part of that game. So I'll probably watch that. But to be honest, and, and I don't know if I'm alone in this, I haven't had the, the appetite that I normally would to watch old sports. I don't know. It's just such a weird feeling. These days, uh, you know, I've been trying to take some time, I guess, to, to to get into some of these other shows that I usually don't make time for during the season because there's games every night. So um, I haven't been watching too much uh, old sports footage as of yet. The uh, the F1 series is pretty good. I'm a, I'm a huge F1 junkie, so anytime I see somebody watching uh, Drive to Survive, I'm like, yes, now you just got now just get on board with me, CJ, and become an F1 nerd, and and I'll have uh, I'll have completed my quest to convert all of North America to Formula One fandom. I think it's in me. You know, I used to watch it way back in the day when Jacques Villeneuve was was involved, and you know, I liked getting up on the weekends and watching those those races early. Uh, with my dad and stuff. So I think I could get back into it. Certainly the show, it helps. So because it gives you all the story behind the story, kind of the, the stuff you wouldn't know if you haven't been following in recent years as I would. And uh, it's funny, I've been texting with a few current NHL players who are into it and they're wondering why we don't have that kind of access to the NHL. And I, I wish I had an answer because I think, um, you know, they've, you know, F1's a, a much wealthier sport uh, in, in some ways that the drivers are, are much more secluded from the media just on a day-to-day basis. And yet they're they're giving pretty full access into some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. I'd love to to see things open up mm-hmm. even more at some point in the NHL. Thanks, CJ. All right, Thanks, boys. man. Have a good one. Chris Johnston, brought to you by McLeod Trail Midas. Save some cash and skip the dealer. Bring your vehicle into McLeod Trail Midas, a full-service shop. Check out their Facebook page or schedule an appointment at Midas.com. Chris Johnston joins us Tuesdays and Thursdays on Pinder and Steinberg and right here on the Sports Drive at 5. That does it for us. Coming up next, though, relive one of the greatest games of this 1920 season for the Calgary Flames. Well, didn't start out that way. An ugly start, a sluggish open in Tennessee, but they rallied hard in the third to force overtime where Matthew Kachuk 
put forth one of the goals of the season in the NHL. It's a Halloween matchup between the Preds and the Flames. Coming up next on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. 